retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. We need to get out of here. Stop! Sorry. Helena! Dr. Jones, get him. Hitler made mistakes, and with this, I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. This way! Fasten your seatbelt. There might be some tablets. You've taken your chances, made your mistakes, and now a final triumph. Indiana Jones. A few times in my life I've seen things. I've been tortured with voodoo. Been shot nine times. Including once by your father. Ah, sorry. But I've been looking for this all my life. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Conversations do indeed come full circle, and one of the very first discussions that we ever had here on the podcast gets its franchise revisited tonight in what could be an epic discussion. Speaking of full circle... It's a dial that's going to be turning our direction tonight, and hopefully your volume dial is also turned all the way up. Coming to you on Mixler, and to all your podcatchers out there, it's another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm joined as always by Ben, and we have such a fun episode in Store Man because we talked about this particular franchise when we were initially brainstorming what this podcast was going to be about, and I've used the word dial a couple of times to hint and intimate, it's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, but it's just so fun to have the opportunity to talk about Indiana Jones once again here on the show. If adventure has a name, it must be the IPC podcast. Wait, what? That's not how it goes. Um, No, Um, but tonight... That is true. Tonight, we are revisiting something that is very near and dear 
to my heart, to all our hearts, I think, and something that's uh, weird going way back. Actually, like, I, I'd love to check the episode numbers because, you know, Indiana Jones was like top of the list of things that we wanted to talk about. We first started the show way long year time ago, and uh, now we're back for the, the fifth and final question mark installment of the franchise. Um, and, yeah, I have a lot to say, a lot of stuff to talk about, it's a lot to break down. Um, won't discuss all of it tonight because there's just too much. Um, also, just a culmination of a franchise is never can never fit into a you know a two-hour podcast. But uh, we're gonna do our best tonight. Well, I'll tell you how old uh, it's been. I don't even think our previous discussions of this podcast exist on our Podbean feed. Oh, that's so embarrassing. I just, I just went to ipcpodcast.podbean.com. And the most recent thing we have is from 2021 when we commemorated Raiders of the Lost Ark's 40th anniversary. That is true. I forgot all about that. So we've talked about Raiders twice, which we've talked fair about enough. Raiders twice, but we have we've done all of them. I remember doing Temple of Doom. I remember doing Last Crusade. I'm pretty sure Jake Damon was on uh, at least one of those episodes back yeah. when he was a co-host of ours. Um, so the most recent time that we've gotten to discuss indiana jones on this show was june of 2021 so it's been almost two years since we've even opened up this franchise to the podcast and uh it's it's kind of funny looking at the breakdown because we were looking at the news and set leaks from untitled indy 5 in that episode wow and now here we are just over two years later, actually getting to discuss said film, which is pretty cool. That's wild. Yeah, I uh, I have fond memories of our original discussion because I think I think that was the first time I'd like f- officially sat down and watched Temple of Doom at that point. Um, and I rewatched it recently. I'm like, last time I watched this pod, this thing was to do it for a podcast. So um, yep. here you go. So uh, it's been it's come full circle. We're back, um, and who knows? We, we're, we're doing. If we keep doing this podcast, eventually we'll just circle back around. We'll be like, I for, I haven't watched Indiana Jones in a while. Let's just talk about that again. That's the funny thing is one of my favorite podcasts that I'm listening to right now while I'm driving around for work is a podcast called Office Ladies. I think I've talked about it before on the show. Yeah. yeah. And every now and then they're they're going through every episode of The Office chronologically from the pilot to the finale. And every now and then they'll just take a break, right? Like right in the middle of the season, they'll be like, hey, guys, we're not doing the next episode today. We're doing something called a revisited. And maybe they've got new information. Maybe there's questions that came in from listeners, you know, whatever the case may be. um, They will take a step back and look back at a previous episode when they have more to talk about or when they have something that they really want to address. And so. I feel very certain that we're going to have an Indiana Jones revisited somewhere down the line because it's just that big of a franchise. We're probably going to end up talking about like this movie versus Last Crusade at some point. Maybe it'll be a bonus episode. Maybe it'll be a patron exclusive or something. I don't know. But as far as talking about conclusions of the franchise – would Last Crusade have been more satisfying or would Dial of Destiny have been more satisfying? 
that's not something we're going to talk about tonight. So I need you to keep me in check on that, Ben. But it is definitely you, you might have to hold me back from that. It is definitely something that the message boards have been talking about. And uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll tease what our thoughts are on it and then do a fuller episode somewhere down the line. But before we get into the actual big discussion, we just got to um, catch up with each other for a little bit. Say, how you doing? We haven't talked for a few weeks. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is with a, a little game that my wife created called Edna's Icebreaker. We do it yeah. at the top of the show when we do these monthly programs just to keep her integrated and involved and to let her know that uh, that I appreciate her, you know, letting me go play with my friends every now and then because that's basically <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, and she has been trying to get me to watch a particular franchise for a while now. And I admit it's probably time. I'm probably overdue. I made her watch all of the extended edition Lord of the Rings movies. We've been watching Black Mirror. We've been watching the occasional Star Trek episode and or movie. Like, I've kind of been dominating the screen lately. So um, she wants me to revisit a guilty pleasure childhood movie franchise. And um, it it kind of prompted this discussion. Like, what guilty pleasure childhood movies do do we have been like i i don't know what a good example would be but her example is the twilight franchise oh okay all right it's like i know it's campy i know it's cringy i know it's cheesy but it was the thing that was super popular when i was in high school so i'm i'm trying to figure out if we're able to you know flash our memories back that far because uh, I graduated 11 years ago now. So, you know, what was popular but also really campy and in hindsight probably wasn't as good as everybody hyped it up to be back then. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something because I'm I'm looking – I'm just looking at Disney Plus right now, to be honest, because I'm like, let's be, let's be honest, most most of my childhood was was – not Disney Plus, but the things that are on Disney Plus right now. Um, a lot of them were VHS tapes and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know. I was obsessed with a lot of things. You know, I, I, I per this podcast, I have a very obsessive relationship with media and stuff like that. And uh, for the past few weeks, it's been Ian and Jones, to be honest. Um, for most of the time, it's Star Wars. But there's been a lot of things that have kind of caught my attention over the years, and you know, I've there's there's many many Disney movies that um, I I don't know if I really want to go back and rewatch them. I don't know if they're all they're cracked up to be, but they're definitely ones that I watched continuously over and 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 over again um, back in the day. Um, and I you know I feel like. You know, I can't be objective with them because they're just they're just there. They've always been there. They've always been a part of my life. And, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. Um, I don't know. I, I I remember like one. I don't know if this is a guilty pleasure because but it sounds weird coming out of my mouth. I was obsessed with the movie Aristocats. You know that movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe Casey, Thomas O'Malley, the alley cat. That movie, and I still, I, I still say it's a great movie, excellent movie. I think maybe there's a couple of, maybe some racial stereotypes in there that haven't aged well, but other than that, like I things, great music, great movie. 
I, that's why I stopped sort of saying it's guilty pleasure because I'm not guilty. I don't I don't feel guilt normally speaking over movies and TV shows. Like I like what I like. I've learned to be proud of it and stand firm in my beliefs and my my tastes. So I don't have a lot of guilt when it comes to stuff like that. But it, there is some that's like you know. I and of course there is this whole thing about it. That's a girl's movie. That's a kid's movie. You're not supposed to like that, and that like, all that stuff is just garbage anyway. Because um, sure. I, you know, and I was kind of in a bubble. I was an only child. You know, I just kind of watched whatever I wanted to watch, and I, I wasn't told either way. You know what you were supposed to watch or supposed to like. So I had some eclectic tastes as a kid. Well, and what what's funny is I, I could go on a whole talk about the Aristocats because it's got great. <laughs> got a great art style it's got a great cast um did you know that it got um memed on tiktok recently did it of course because yeah. the tiktokers found it for the first time well, in 25 years what's funny is it's the only way i could convince my wife to even watch it was because she scrolls tiktok so much and she's like where is this music from do you know the the goose waddling music for abigail and amelia unlocking some core core memories here <laughs> yeah yeah they took just that little tidbit there that little 15 20 second piece of music and they were using it to make super viral tiktok videos oh boy it's it, it's it's crazy and most of it's like relationship type stuff where like the girl is wearing a blanket over her head and she's kind of waddling up to her boyfriend and there's like this big long caption in front of her while she's walking towards him and it's usually stuff like you know me on my way to cause problems with my boyfriend even though problems don't exist right now or something like that. Yeah, that's what that's what's so funny about just internet culture in general. It's just like they'll take something, just a sound, it'll just go with it and you don't even know where it's from. You don't know where the music's from. It'll be audio on top of something else that you don't know it's from and it's just like this yeah. this mixing and mingling of all these different things from different things you're just like oh, i i've i know that sound i don't know where the hell it's from you know it's it could like you know the whole like uh don't be suspicious don't be suspicious like took me years to figure out where that came from you like it, parks it, it's and yeah exactly once i started watching so I'm like okay yeah i get it now <laughs> oh man Jesse's in the chat. He's our only listener live right now. He goes, I'm here, but I'm late. First thing I heard was Aristocats. What did I digitally walk into? <laughs> Look, you got to expect anything on this podcast, okay? I don't know what to tell you. It's our it's our icebreaker, dude. You haven't missed anything. Um, we were we were just talking about like things that we watched growing up that could be considered guilty pleasures because my wife's choice is Twilight. Um, I. I have a hard time picking something like you that that I would call guilty, um, mostly because I'm kind of selective about my um, movies because they're such a big commitment. But I will say um, that I did have some guilty pleasure um, television that I would watch um, because it was something that I could just put on in the background while I'm studying or it would be the thing that I do to, like, turn my mind off for a little while. And I had some pretty dumb television that I used to watch. <laughs> um, there's one that's a Canadian program that I that I found on like an extension channel. It wasn't even one of the primary channels. Um, it was called Sitting Ducks. 
and it was about a friendship between a duck that could not fly and his friend, the alligator, who lived in the town over. And it was it, it was so weird because there would be this big-ass alligator walking into the cafe full of ducks, and everybody would just look at him and sneer rather than run and duck for cover and stuff. And I was like, okay, so this is kind of like a, 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 a talk on on maybe racism or something, but the way that they're doing it is really, really weird. And it was just, it was very dumb. And then um, I'm, I might get some flack for this, but I think I actually ended up liking the sweet life on deck more than I liked the sweet life of Zack and Cody. Oh sweet yeah. The, the, you, the sequel was better than the original. One of the few times that a sequel show, in my opinion, was better than the original because it tackled like relationship problems. It tackled um, travel issues. It tackled what you were going to do when you became an adult and you were finally done with this life. Um, everybody kind of grew and evolved out of the boring that they were the, the not boring, but they were just very, um, very predictable and very flat characters in the original show. And I felt like they got a little more dynamic in the sweet life on deck. So I would probably say sitting ducks and sweet life on deck would be like my guilty pleasure, childhood core memories. But I don't know if I, if I had a movie that I could pick. Jesse says he's, uh, can I choose Kung Pao? Dude, you can choose whatever the heck you want. Like I I'm, I'm choosing some very, obscure stuff and i'm now using my my browser on my phone to look up what kung pao is yeah, this is a no judgment zone for the record okay the world may judge you and may shame you and may it's want a, you to uh want you to be uh you know unproud of your choices but we will not kung pao enter the fist a 2002 comedy action movie with a 13 percent rating on rotten tomatoes I there's another one that came to mind just recently. I remember being. Have you ever heard of the movie Snow Dogs? Uh, Snow Dogs or Snow Buddies? Snow Dogs, different no, movie. This no. is a this is a Cuba Gooding Jr. movie. I Come think on. it may have been Disney. I just remember being obsessed with it for a brief period of time, and I feel bad for my family because I know it wasn't good. Now thinking about it, I know it was not a good movie, but I freaking loved it, um, and I showed it to everyone, and I talked about it constantly. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, I haven't seen it since. So I, but like it's it's ingrained in my memory to this day. Well, I'll tell you what's ingrained in my memory, but not by choice, is a Disney movie called The Wild. The Wild. Yeah, it was basically Disney's answer to DreamWorks's Madagascar. It was about a group of zoo animals that find themselves in the wild, and it's like a journey of self-discovery and stuff. Um, but the problem is, like, this cast is wild, and the writing is on drugs, okay? <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland is the dad lion, Jack Bauer from 24. And um, I'm trying to think, who else is in it? Eddie Izzard, the comedian. And um, Richard Kind, who is uh, known for his 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 um, very high pitched voice, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, let me see who else is in this. Patrick Warburton is in it. Uh, I'm trying to see who else. Patrick Warburton is the um, major domo for um, <laughs> the villain who is played. <laughs> he's played by William Shatner. Oh, my God. This cast. Yes, I'm telling you. But then you've also got like Kevin Michael Richardson makes a cameo in it. Tom Kane makes a cameo in it. Um, let me see who else is in this. Um, who's the who is the comedian that is the the voice of the squirrel? Um, Jim Belushi. Oh, of course, Jim Belushi is in it as well. And uh, so Patrick Warburton is a leader of a wildebeest cult that seeks to become carnivores. <laughs> that is that is the plot of this movie is a bunch of zoo animals end up in the wild and become prisoners of a wildebeest cult that wants to become carnivores. Oh, geez. This is a oh, Disney movie? This is a Disney movie. You can find it on Disney Plus. And my can. brother watched it on end, on loop during my high school days. And it it is just completely unhinged. You've got to turn on the captions to watch some of the crazy stuff they say because you're going to start laughing and miss another line. It's oh my it's God. it's ridiculous. And I I did not necessarily care for this movie all that much when my brother was watching it on loop, but much like you, Ben, with Snow Dogs, it is now ingrained in my memory, and I can quote so much from this movie, and I quote along with it so much because it is just it's it's stuck in my head, and I can't get rid of it, and I'll catch myself quoting it sometimes just because it it pops up every now and then unwillingly naturally yeah and and jesse in the chat he apparently other the other only other person on the face of the earth that remembers snow dogs he says i love snow dogs where he was the dentist that got gifted dogs that got a a life-altering journey on the way that's that's snow dogs it's proof he's seen it oh wow okay uh is this a disney movie can i catch it on on disney well i mean i i don't know i'm i'm googling snow dogs for the first time in my life uh, let's see um it's uh it's a disney movie and it's on disney plus <laughs> okay i'll make you a deal ben i will watch snow dogs if you watch the wild <laughs> <laughs> okay deal <laughs> and then we'll come back and and we'll and we'll swap stories <laughs> oh my god yeah this is on oh my gosh oh brother i'm pretty sure i watched eight below and i watched iron will do you remember iron will never, never heard of it oh man see i just typed in like the word snow and all these snow related movies popped up on disney plus snow buddies is in there um eight below is in there and then iron will is this going to start playing it or is it going to show me the description he um the the main character's name is Will and he joins a uh dog sled race that uh may financially save his his family's debts um but it's such a grueling process that he almost like freezes to death during the cross country snow dog race 
that's it's it's pretty it's pretty intense for a uh for a 1994 PG Disney movie, but <laughs> also I don't want to keep going back to this because we do have another uh, another actually good movie to talk about tonight. Um, but um, just if you do decide to subject yourself to Snow Dogs, know that it is uh, sour on Rotten Tomatoes with a 25% critic score and a 40% audience score. Critics consensus says a mediocre live-action children's movie, Snow Dogs, is filled with cliched dialogue, tiresome pratfalls, and stale fish-out-of-water jokes. Well, okay. Um, Jesse's movie, Kung Pao, was um, 13%. Oh, and uh, the, the, uh, the Wild is currently clocking in at um 19 percent oh 30 a glorious 36 if you're looking at the uh the audience score well it took us a while but we found our guilty pleasure because i do feel guilty after this with a rehashed plot and unimpressive animation there's absolutely nothing wild about a wild these God people, damn. these people that these people that write these blurbs, man, they're way too proud of themselves. Damn, Jesse's in the Woo. chat going. I just got a great slash terrible idea for an IPC slash question possible answer crossover. Oh man, I'm scared oh. now. I'm I'm very scared. But let's go ahead and jump into uh, what we've been watching. I'll admit, I'm very intrigued about the rest of the summer slate for 2023. Mm-hmm. Because um, there's a lot of hype on the internet surrounding Barbenheimer. <laughs> yes, that's the big that's the big new thing now. That's the big thing is Barbie and Oppenheimer, and I'm really curious about which one or both are we going to end up talking about um, in August. But Barbenheimer is really really big. But other than that, I really haven't been watching a whole lot of movies or TV shows, which is why Dial of mm-hmm. Destiny is kind of the the big um the big topic because i went and saw spider-man a second time but we've already talked about spider-man oh haven't we yes we have okay yeah we did i i've been a part of so many different shows i forget we <laughs> talk about stuff on i i look after tonight in a couple hours i'm gonna forget everything i said on this podcast so to, trust me i know how it feels i talked about the titanic on monday Oh, wow. If if, if that doesn't show you like the range of discussions I've had with people recently, I don't know what will. But I talked about Indiana Jones in a Star Wars podcast a few days ago. That was wild. Hey, I will tell you something, dude. I don't know who came up with it. I feel pretty certain it was you. But rebranding your page temporarily as the Indie Underground is quite possibly one of the best marketing moves I have seen from a social media page, period, all year. I will take 100% of the credit for that because I don't think anybody else liked the idea. I didn't ask for anybody's permission, okay? I didn't get Chris or Dominic or Hannah's permission to do that. I just did it. Um, I didn't ask them what they thought of it. So I don't know what their opinion is. I don't – frankly, I don't give a damn. Um, I was having fun, and that was probably the most fun doing the social media for SW in a very long time. And I've – I mean I've I've been doing it for for 13 years now. It's always been fun. But mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun, and just to help me reconnect with with Indiana Jones, and I watched all the movies again, and yep. yeah, it was just it was so much fun. It was so much fun doing the quotes and everything like that. And my only regret was just I didn't have enough time. I'm so busy with other things, I wasn't able to like really 
do more posts and more stuff and trivia and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, I think our, I think our engagement took a hit because um, people didn't know what the hell was happening. <laughs> I noticed our Twitter just stopped growing for like a month and I'm like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best for the growth, but it was fun anyway. So who cares? Yeah. I mean, sometimes things are just all about the numbers um, and, and, you know, maybe it maybe it would pay off, maybe it wouldn't. But considering that you were you were giving attention to something that was current and was relevant, while there was not a whole lot of Star Wars stuff going on, it felt entirely appropriate, and it seemed very much in the vein of of what the Star Wars underworld is all about, which is giving giving credit to creatives in a very particular niche genre. And so all of it was just, it was very true to life. It was, it was entertaining. I loved all of the quotes that you guys did. Like maybe the engagement took a hit, but I think those that have followed the underworld for as long as someone like I have, um, Jesse says he loved it as well. Need to branch it off and create its own separate page. Maybe I, I, I would love to do that. I just don't have the time. <laughs> I yeah. literally yeah. Star Wars World takes up all my time, but I've, I've accepted my, cause like I was supposed to end it at the end of June, but the movie came out that day. So I was like, I can't end it now. I got to keep it going. So I got to right. going for another week. So I, and then it was like a few days ago. I was like, I have to end it. Okay. This is it. I have to stop it. So I put it to bed and we're back to Star Wars Underworld now, but I've accepted that this is part of the page. Now this is part of the DNA of Star Wars Underworld is, is Indiana Jones, and we're always going to cover Indiana Jones news if it comes about, quotes, whatever. That'll always be there, be part of the page. So just to make myself feel better, I guess. I, I don't think you have anything to try to feel better about, dude. It was, <laughs> it was great. It was great. Well, I'm just glad that m- people other than me enjoyed it because I was literally doing it only for my amusement, okay? And I was well, hoping people would catch on. At minimum, it's three. You, me, and Jesse. <laughs> hey, that's a win then. That's a win. If there's one other person, the two other person, boom, we're done. Yep. Yep. Okay, so the Dial of Destiny. Yeah. Let, let, let's do some spoiler-free thoughts and impressions first, um, just for those that, you know, wanted to be able to catch, you know, the first half hour of the show or whatever if they haven't. Uh, seen the movie yet we're already at 29 minutes and we barely even talked about it like straight up um but one of the things we're also going to be talking about is um how we would rank these five films um very regularly on the show we'll do a top five segment and it can be something that is very very broad but i think this may be the most narrow top five we've ever done because there's only five things to choose from (laughs) it's the most ironic top five we've ever done just the most and I was like, top five this, but there's only five of them. Oops. There's only. <laughs> yeah, give me your top five. Um, five numbers. <laughs> give this me is, your top this, five. Numbers, okay. One I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear no in no particular order thing. That doesn't work this time. Okay. Exactly. You can't do that. <laughs> exactly. Ben is gonna be like, okay, you guys have been breaking the rules so much. I'm going to go into malicious compliance mode. <laughs> so. um, in no particular order, Raiders, Temple of Doom. No, no, it doesn't work like that. Well, um, 
I'm I'm excited to talk about this film because I've already had a chance to talk about it on my new podcast, which is called Flixbusters. I'm doing that with Sean now. Yeah. Uh, once once a month we'll be doing a live program over there on YouTube and uh I have to actually put on a shirt, unlike what I've got on tonight, and uh, you know, make myself present comb your hair. Ugh, yes. The, the, makes the worst. me mad. Makes me mad. Um but um I got a chance to talk about it, and I actually have a, a, a score. I have a number, and I have like particular things that I can actually hone in on and say why I feel the way I feel about certain things. But I do have the impression that my score could be much lower mm. than most people's score. It ended mm. up being higher than Sean's, but I think it's going to be lower than most other people's scores. So we'll see. But Ben, I yield the floor to you, sir. Initial thoughts, spoiler-free impressions on the Dial of Destiny. Yeah, because I think I think in general, I like this movie more than most people. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's gonna be interesting to see how this actually plays out between the two of us. Because yeah. even though I've seen a ton of positivity online, like a ton, even in like YouTube comment sections, which are known for their hate and vitriol, um, are like, hey, this movie's not quite bad. I'm like, okay, angry YouTube commenter, you actually like this movie. It must be something here. Um, but to say that I like this movie is kind of an understatement. I really I, – I, my, my initial impressions were kind of just utter satisfaction, and I was going into this movie – a little skeptical. I was a little more hyped than I needed to be, but I was also a little skeptical, and I still had high expectations, which is not good for me because usually if I go in with really high expectations, I can only be let down, and I've been let down by so many movies. And a lot of times I will come back to them and go like, okay, my expectations were just too high, and I, you know, was not was not fair to the movie. But this one, I went in with pretty high expectations, and they were exceeded. I think this was a top-down, a brilliant movie and a great ending for Indiana Jones. Um, I and just kind of to kind of sum up my thoughts, I went into this movie, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about this later in regards to kind of like what's next for Indiana Jones. What what do we want to see this franchise continue, or do we want not want to continue? Whatever. I went in going like I want more Indiana Jones. I want this franchise to continue i don't care if they reboot it or recast or whatever i just want to continue because i love indiana jones but then i saw this movie and i'm like i i don't want anymore i think this is the perfect way to end it and i hope that this is actually the end cynically i know that this probably won't be the one indiana jones is a very marketable franchise although the 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 box office wasn't great for this one so you know, I think that might stifle any plans Disney might have had in regards to extending or, you know, doing more sequels or reboots or anything like that, spinoffs. But it's still Indiana Jones. It's still a very recognizable character that they will get their money's worth out of now that they own him. So I, but I don't want them to. I think this was a just a great, great film, a one that I think stands. Alongside the other ones, brilliantly, I think is a great ending, but also is, you know, I 
I have the hot take that like I don't think there's been a bad Indiana Jones movie, and I you know I say that a little bit tongue in, tongue in cheek, but I also I kind of like all of them in different ways. Yeah, Crystal Skull's a bit rough in places. I get it. People don't like it. Temple of Doom is a, is a lot to take in, um, but I think this one is up there with Last Crusade and Raiders as kind of my favorite of the bunch. It's not. I don't think it tops those movies for me. Um, if I'm gonna just watch a movie. And just have fun. I'll probably put in Raiders. I'll probably put in Last Crusade. But this movie, as an emotional experience, as a film that is full of great themes and great writing and great, excellent music by John Williams again, and some really good character work, it's really they did a fantastic job with it. And I was so, so impressed with how – because going in, I was like, okay, this could be bad. It could be just kind of sad. But it wasn't. It was they, – they took all the elements and they made something out of it, and it wasn't just, oh, it's old Indiana Jones. It's There's a point to this, and I appreciated that so much. Oh, man. I, there's so much on that that I, that I want to touch on. But um, – I had to stop myself. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. I, I'm just – I'm trying to figure out which element I want to echo and which ones I want to just drastically drag through the mud. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding um i i'm i'm very I'm, i feel like i'm pretty similar to uh a lot of the sentiments that you had um it is not raiders and it is not last crusade i i will start by saying do not have that expectation for this movie um it, it's it's set in a different time it's made by different people um it, it is just it's not going to be sean connery you know hamming it up with Harrison Ford. Nothing is ever going to be that. Um, but when you watch this movie for what it is, rather than for what it is not, you do see a lot of beauty in it. I'll, I'll give you that. Hmm. Um, as I have gotten more critical of film over recent years, though, I will say there are some technical things that I may not have cared for in this movie. That's fair. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some of those over the course of our discussion, but I will say that this is a fun summer flick. I will say that it is worth seeing in theaters. I will say that if you are a fan of this franchise, you will definitely feel emotions, particularly in the last half hour. And I will say that um, there probably should not be another one after this. I, I am with you. Um, on that sentiment that Disney could try to milk this for everything it's worth. Um, but I feel like they shouldn't. I feel like they were trying to get Harrison Ford back to be in Star Wars, and they promised him Indiana Jones on top of that. And there are times that this movie might feel that way. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There, there are there are times and there are elements of this movie that kind of feel like Disney is only doing this to appease Harrison Ford rather than doing it um, to make money off of it. Right. And um, I think that may be what the biggest um, determining factor is in the uh, moving forward of this franchise, because Disney has been taking hits left and right financially with a lot of movies over the last couple of years. Thor Love and Thunder has lost a lot of money. Little Mermaid has lost a lot of money. 
Elemental is doing better. It started not doing well at all. But I, I have recently seen that Elemental is kind of on an uptick um, financially. And that is that is really cool to see that it's it's improving. But um, I got to be honest, dude, the the insidious, the red door made more money than Indiana Jones did crazy in the past weekend. And so out of its total budget of production and then reshoots, editing, marketing, everything that encompasses this movie, it cost them about three hundred million dollars. Yeah. And so far, Box Office Mojo estimates that they have made two hundred and fifty six million. So this movie would need to stay in theaters for almost another month just to break even. And that that's that's the that's the area that I that I have trouble with. I don't think Disney's going to move forward with more of this because it didn't make them the money that they spent on it. And that that sucks because it's a fun movie to watch and maybe I'll go see it again to kind of show my support or something. But if anything is going to happen to this franchise, I would bet money. I, I'm I, I, I gamble a little bit. I go to the slots, but I'm not really a gambling man all that much. And I would bet money that if anything happens to this franchise moving forward, it's going to be a Disney Plus original. I think we are not seeing this franchise in theaters again after Dial of Destiny. I I think, yeah, I think for a multitude of reasons, I think that's when I think that probably was kind of their plan anyway, um, being that they were so hard on like, oh, this is this is Indian Jones is done. This is the last one forever. Like if they were planning stuff, I feel like they would have they wouldn't have been so hard edged on like this is the last one um if if it's not just like similar to like how oh the rise of skywalker is the end of the star wars skywalker saga but then they do the mandalorian literally you know th- the same month um so you know obviously the stuff can continue and but now with the box office and and i don't think it's not going to last much longer in theaters like i went yesterday and my theater was full Weirdly, like it was actually full, but this, in the same theater, Mission Impossible is already out and playing, and it's yep. getting rave reviews. And by this weekend, no one's going to be talking about Indiana Jones. Everybody's going to be talking about Tom Cruise, <laughs> and rightfully so. I've heard it's amazing. True. I can't wait to see it myself. I'm sure it's going to be True. great, but there's going to be no competition because it literally is just kind of the old guard versus the new guard, and you know, it's you know. I don't know. I don't know what went wrong. I really don't know what went wrong with the, with the box office because I feel like there was a lot of good word of mouth, was a lot of good going on, a lot of good press and a good advertisement. You couldn't, you know, throw a stick without hitting a, a you know a billboard or something with Indiana Jones on it. Um, yeah. And you know, it wasn't that it was bad. You know, you could you could say you could say after the the what what kind of the, the overall impressions that people got from king of the crystal skull was just like oh well that was a bad movie so people don't like it that movie made a ton of money <laughs> made a, a boodles of money and 
So I think that's what kind of led to this one. But maybe it was people burned out. Maybe people didn't want to come back after King of Crystal Skull. I don't know. Maybe people are just – I think people sometimes – I think maybe a lot of people are just staying at home. They're just like, I'm not going out to the theater. I don't feel like it. It's going to be on Disney Plus in a month. Why bother? You know, And who could blame them? So I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I, I would imagine. I my my first my first thought is this this movie was promised when basically when Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2012 2013 we were talking right. about it and this is the culmination of almost a decade of anticipation maybe more than a decade and when you look at it from that perspective I don't know if the culmination lived up to the decade-long hype. Like that that's a lot of expectations. That's a lot of waiting on something. And and it it's for something is for a movie that is rated 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. I don't think people really want to wait a decade for something that is 69-70% out of 100. Yeah. And and that that's that's one thing. It's also been 15 years since the last movie crystal skull came out in 08 and here we are in 23 it's been a decade and a half between movies and if you think about it in 2008 there was really only facebook and myspace twitter uh was either brand new or hadn't been created yet um, TikTok certainly didn't exist. Instagram certainly didn't exist. And I can't help but wonder if social media and the generation that is currently using social media the most may have had something to do with, you know, how anticipated this film is. You're talking about billboards, but if you really want a targeted ad on people that spend money on movies, you make a you make a TikTok advertisement. And I'm yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if their their marketing went to the wrong places or went to the wrong audience or if that audience um, just wasn't listening or maybe there was a word of mouth that said, yeah, I'm not going to go to that. And, and social media played a hand in saying, you know what, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to wait. It's been 15 years. I didn't like the last one. So here I am on social media saying I'm going to wait. And oh. and it's and it's and it begs the question, do and this is this isn't this is a complete this is not a rhetorical question, it's like a genuine question. Do kids today, you know, can people, you know, <laughs> down from you know from two years old to thirteen years old, whatever everywhere in between, do kids care about Indiana Jones? Do kids like people growing up now? Do they are they into Indiana Jones? And I'm I'm really curious about that because of the fact of like comparing it to something like in, like Star Wars. It's not Star Wars though. It's not something that's been around all of this time. And Star Wars has never really gone away. Like apart from like a small segment 
in the 80, late 80s, early 90s, Star Wars has kind of always been around in books, comics, video games, blah, 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 blah. Indian Jones never really had that. It's never had the staying power, never had the big franchise power of Star Wars. It's kind of been the kind of the, the younger cousin of Star Wars in a lot of ways. And a lot of people that love Star Wars love Indian Jones and vice versa. But it's kind of like it's been gone for so long. It's been 18 years since since King Crystal Skull came out. It hasn't had the 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 it hasn't been in the the general lexicon of pop culture and having people care about it as much. It hasn't had an animated show or a TV show or whatever. It only had one TV show ever, and that was back in the 80s or 90s. Right. So you know, is it just because yes, all people and I'll to add to this, I went to see it yesterday. It was like. 60 or 70 percent senior citizens in my theater weirdly and it felt like oh it was it was grandma and grandpa's time to go see Anna jones because this is the this is the stuff that they were watching when they were younger and now they're going to see you know things and i'm sure they probably enjoyed it because the movie's all about getting old and stuff like that it's got great themes about that Mm -hmm. but are they taking their grandkids do their grandkids care I don't know. I'm very curious about that because that may be partially maybe Ian Jones as a franchise, as a character, is just kind of outdated. I I think it's a it's a lot of those things, dude. I think the answer to all of this is yes. Like did so <laughs> like did social media play a factor in this? Yes. Did the fact that it's been gone for over a decade uh, play a factor in this? Yes. Did the fact that uh, Harrison Ford's getting older and he's more limited play a factor? Yes. Uh, did the fact that people are just more interested in watching stuff on Disney Plus now play a factor in it? Yes. Like, all of that, all of that, I feel like is true. And so it's it, it sucks because those, those are things that should not, well, maybe social media should, but some of those other things are factors that should not be determinant in what makes a good movie. I, I think social media has taken over the the medium of word of mouth. You know, back in back in the day, you right. had to actually tell somebody in person, "Oh, this movie's really good. You should go watch it." Now you just tweet it. But uh, aside from that, I, I don't feel like any of those other factors should be things that you know, help you determine whether this movie in particular was good or not. I think it needs to be based on the story. It needs to be based on the music. It needs to be based on the CGI. It needs to be based on the the directing, the the, the technical side of things. It shouldn't be about the marketing and the distribution. It shouldn't be about how it's trying to follow Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like, it, it shouldn't be about any of those things. And yet, somehow, people have made it to be that way. And I think ultimately what we need to land on here as a culture, as people who just watch movies and are on the Internet, terminally online, as they call it, um, and just enjoy this, is box office not is not the be-all to end-all. You can love this movie. You can hate this movie. It really doesn't matter what how much money it made. I, the only thing that really matters in that is about continuing of it. Is, is it going to get a TV show spinoff? Is it going to get more sequels? Blah, 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 blah. That's what the studio is concerned with. That's what it thinks. I'm concerned about Star Wars movies doing good at the box office, not because 
it's dependent on my enjoyment. It's just that I know that Star Wars needs to be successful as a franchise. It needs to keep growing. It needs to continually make money. It's a business. We need to understand that part of the process. But it's not the be-all to end-all of the art of filmmaking, the art of making movies and doing all this stuff. And ultimately, it's just about you sitting down in a theater and watching something on a giant screen and whether you liked it or not. And I really enjoyed this movie. And I heard from a ton of people who enjoyed it from very different degrees. Some people were like, eh, it's okay. Some people were like, oh, this was really great, better than I expected. And that's what's important. I think a lot of people are probably going to you know, watch this on Disney Plus and probably wish they had seen it in the theater. Um, or people, I don't know, a hundred years from now are going to watch this and go like, hey, this is pretty good. Um, but you know, ultimately, box office is important up to a point. I think we need to remember that. And I'm not going to let it spoil, you know, spoil my fun. I've enjoyed this movie immensely. I'm going to continue to watch it. I'm not – may not get another chance to go see it in the theaters, probably because it's not going to be in theaters very much longer. But – and I also, yes, I do want to see Mission Impossible, whatever. But um, ultimately, you know, I think people use it too much as a, as a thing to kind of bash movies and go like, well, this movie sucked because – it was it didn't it didn't break even at the box office. I'm just like there's been so many movies throughout history that were people agree were good, but didn't make money. I think It's a Wonderful Life was a box office flop. It did not do well when it was first released. Now it's one of everyone's favorite Christmas movie. Like it's crazy. Um, and then we have some more recent ones like Blade Runner 2049, and you know a lot of really big filmmakers make movies and they just go nowhere and it's not because it sucked it's just things didn't work out and that's okay the movie industry is really fickle and stuff that especially now stuff that you think should not be a a big money maker ends up getting like a billion dollars and then stuff that you really really want to see succeed ends up scraping to break even um i I personally do not give a tiny rat's behind about Mission Impossible. <laughs> I did wow. not give a tiny rat's behind about Top Gun Maverick. And I have not seen a single Transformers movie in my life. Same. And yet Rise of the Beasts is also tracking to have a fantastic box office run. And I don't yeah. get it. I don't. I don't understand why those types of films are going to have great runs, are going to have great box office numbers, and something that is as iconic as Indiana Jones and as as history-driven and important as Indiana Jones can be isn't isn't doing what the numbers say they should. But I'm with you that I'm not I'm not really inclined to let the numbers be the only thing that that play a factor, but you know I am probably at this point, aside from maybe a couple of a couple of of Star Wars elements like the stuff that's on Disney Plus, I'm not as invested in Star Wars as I used to be, and I've kind of been nomadically looking for a new franchise to latch onto, and. I would I would like to latch on to Indiana Jones, you know, but 
un- unfortunately, I'm I'm kind of in that boat that you are in with Star Wars, where like you need to see it financially succeed in order to be able to see more of the thing that you appreciate and you love. I don't feel like I'm going to see very much more of the Indiana Jones franchise. I don't feel like I'm going to see the baton get passed to Helena um, because this movie isn't tracking the way Disney is going to want it to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love your example about just going back to your example about uh, Transformers, like the the juxtaposition of you go yeah. on the Internet right now, you can find someone trashing the Transformers movies. And then simultaneously, if you look at the numbers, Transformers is like one of the most successful film franchises in history. I don't get it. And it's just like the the gulf of the logic there. It's just like it doesn't make any sense, but it does because and, – and this also speaks to internet culture that like people online, whether they're speaking positively or negatively, they do not make up the majority of the audience. People – on Twitter, if you're they're trending on Twitter and they're talking about this or they're talking about it on TikTok or whatever else, they're not a majority of the audience. People, most people are not even online. They're not talking about movies on TikTok. You know that's that's ludicrous. So yeah, it's just it's it's funny and fascinating and weird and and dumb, all at the same time. Well, enough commentary on the stuff about the film. Let's let's talk about the well, film itself. We're almost well, an hour into it, and we haven't actually talked about the well, movie. Okay. Well, let's let's. I want to I want to start off with something, and this is something. This is this is the top of the movie. So let's just get into it. And this is something that has been probably one of the most controversial, not the most controversial movie part of the movie, but one of the most controversial. I think the most maybe the most controversial thing is at the end of the movie, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, because I still. Like I said, some people may have not seen it in theaters. And I don't want to spoil it for them, so we'll give you a heads up on that. But just everyone knows about the start of the movie, which is a prologue set in 1944 with a de-aged Indiana Jones played by Harrison Ford and maybe some stunt doubles thrown in there. Who knows? But this is the thing we knew about from the start back when the movie was first getting going, when we saw set photos, when it was actually being filmed, of we knew this was going to happen. And now that it's here, um, I want to get your take. What what how did how did it fare with you? What did you feel about because I know we've had a lot of discussions about the de-aging in the Star Wars shows and all this kind of stuff. How did you take the did the de aging work for you or did it not? Um, I it really didn't, mm. unfortunately. Um, and 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 I think the difference between this scene and maybe something like what we got in Mandalorian is Luke's appearance is brief he's not the star right and you you only see it for bits and pieces and it's there long enough for you to understand why it's there and just passable enough that for the few minutes that you see it it's it's okay and it doesn't deter from from the program i personally don't feel like the cgi is there yet to completely de-age the main character for almost a half an hour I just I I don't think it's there yet. And part of the problem, too, is that Harrison Ford has gotten so old and I and I don't mean to say this negatively, but his voice has changed. 
over the decades. And he sounds like an 80-year-old man in a 30-something de-aged body. His, his he is. is very deep and scruffy. And so they de-aged his face, but they didn't de-age his voice, which is something we know they're capable of because they did that for Mark Hamill on The Mandalorian. So it, it just it didn't it never lined up properly for me. It the, the looks didn't match the sound. And there were so many looks that um, I I don't know. I just I didn't feel like they should have had that much attention on it. And um, I'll, I'll I'll go one step further and maybe ruffle a few more feathers. I don't think this scene works in the daylight. I think the reason oh, no. they, they had this scene in the dark is because they needed to shadow the DH face because if it's in broad daylight, it makes the CGI stand out even more than it already does. Yeah, I I think they were smart and they knew what they were doing setting this scene completely at night in shadows. And there's if you notice, there's a ton of shots where he's not even looking at the camera. It's kind of shot from the back. He's in shadow. You can kind of half see his face underneath the 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 shadow of his fedora. Um, there's a lot of trickery going on. There's a lot of interesting camera movements like that they're doing to kind of hide it. Um, for me, it works to a point. It works for the most part. I will say it's the best that technology has ever looked the de-aging technology, um, because we're talking about, you know, we're talking about everything from kind of the slight de-aging they did on Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel, which actually showed up in a recent episode of Secret Invasion I just watched, um, and then also going forward to, you know, Tarkin in Rogue One to Luke in Mandalorian. I think this being the kind of the, the next step in that, I think this is this is the best it's been. Doesn't mean it's perfect though, by any means. Um, yes, it's a little, it's a little wonky, and it it doesn't help that you're going and you know it. You you know it's like I know, I know this movie wasn't filmed in in 1995. I know Harrison Ford doesn't look like that anymore. So you're going and you're looking at his face and you're psychoanalyzing. You're looking and like ah, that detail, that pore doesn't look quite right. It's not all there. Um, and yes, when he especially the first couple scenes, it gets better in the bet in later scenes for some reason. But there's a couple of moments where he's trying to talk, and it's just like, yeah, I, that sounds like 80-year-old Harrison Ford. It's 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 mm-hmm. blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. And again, they don't have a whole lot of lines for him. I think they, it was intentional, but maybe they could – I don't know what they could have done, but you – because know, I know they used like AI to create Luke's voice in Mandalorian, which was also a little weird, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, but that's a whole other story. But Man, they're using yeah. – they're using AI to have Freddie Mercury, who's been dead for years, <laughs> do covers of songs on TikTok. Oh gosh, yeah, I heard, I've, I think I, I heard, heard some of those. I heard him do a cover of "Don't Stop Believing" on the drive home from work today. Oh my god. Yep. Um, it won't be long. It won't be long now. Uh, AI will just be taking over. Mm-hmm. We'll just relinquish command. We won't even need this podcast anymore. We'll just tell the AI to do it for us, and it'll sound like our voices, and it'll distribute and publish everything. At we the end of the show, we'll have 363 episodes of, like, two- to three-hour podcasts. Like, that's plenty. Just feed it into an AI. We're done, okay? Exactly. Just tell it to talk about something. We're done. You don't need us anymore. It, you mm-hmm. know, half the time, you won't even notice this AI. Come on now. 
I kind um, of want to do that. I kind of want to give chat GPT our RSS feed and tell it to make an episode about something that you and I would never review ourselves. So, yeah, I think like have it if, do, have it have it do a James Bond movie, you know, like something something like that. Like listen to every episode of the IPC podcast here and record an episode about Casino Royale. It sounds like <laughs> we reviewed it or something like that. And then we just listen to it. I at the very least, I would love something because I don't know how to work any of this AI stuff, so I wouldn't even know where to begin. But if anyone has any suggestions, please let us know. But like I would love it just like I know there's all kinds of stuff and moral ambiguity around AI. I get it. But like just using it for fun, I don't think there's any problem with that. I would love to use it in a way that's like at the very least, like if it like listens to it or like listen to our podcast and like can like give us like a script of like okay here's what a podcast should be like here's an ipc podcast we're gonna read from the script and see what does it think that we think about this movie um it'd be very interesting <laughs> so before chat gpt came around there there was another ai that used to do um tv commercials do you remember that the keaton pally guy or whatever his name was that was um having an ai read like dozens of scripts and then make its own script i think so i've heard of different things over the years so one of my favorites was um something something called um i think i think it was an olive garden commercial is what it was oh my god and like so they watched 2000 um, Olive Garden commercials or two or a thousand hours of Olive Garden commercials or something like that, and then write its own script. So these these actors read the script and decided to actually follow the script that the AI had made and then play out the script that the AI made. And, and if you look it up on YouTube, it's called Olive Garden Bot Commercial by the user Extra Crispy. And it it is hilarious, hilarious to see how the script goes from paper to being acted out. It's it's dumb, but it's hilarious. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is this is this is good content potential for sure. I've got the video. If for some reason it won't play, well, I'm going to watch this right after the show, and that's amazing. Infinite stick. Infinite <laughs> stick. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing when people will be like, and not to get into the whole AI debate here, but just like people go like, oh, it's amazing what AI can do. I'm like, it's 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 real dumb, though. You do realize that, right? It's real dumb. Like the things that it put, puts out and like the scripts that it creates and the AI art that it is like it's it has to be guided very specifically by human hands to make it look decent, because if you just give it to it raw, like. AI's dumb, okay? Just yeah, the stuff that it creates. Oh, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's 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 so entertaining, but it's not good. Oh, okay. Steven finally joined us and he's saying, What did I miss? He goes, This is an hour in already. Everything. You missed everything. Uh, apparently. This is us not this is us just avoiding talking about Indiana Jones the entire time. 
We're just we're just stalling. This is the antithesis of an Indiana Jones discussion. We've been talking for an hour and five minutes, and all we've talked about is the opening scene. <laughs> right. Um. But okay, long story short, I think they did the best they could. And I think ultimately my standing on the scene is just like it's not 100%. It's about as good as it can be right now. And also I think – because, like, my whole thing with, like, the Star Wars show is just, like, just recast Luke Skywalker. Stop trying to recreate him in CGI. Just get another actor. It's fine. This was more justified in the fact that, like, you have this whole story about, you know, and this whole thing, something I thought about was in regards to this kind of reminded me, this movie kind of reminds me of another little movie you may have heard of, Jurassic Park. Um, this movie? Where it's about dinosaurs. <laughs> but um, but it, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But like Jurassic Park is a movie that is not necessarily about people running away from dinosaurs and getting eaten by dinosaurs. But it knows going in that that's what you're expecting. So at the start of it, it gives you a whole scene on the island of people getting eaten by dinosaurs. It's a very intense scene. It's a great scene. Um, this movie, again, it's an Indiana Jones movie, so it knows you, you want to see – you're going in, you want to see Harrison Ford punching Nazis. Okay, so you got that. You have 30 minutes of that. Regardless of how you feel about how it's executed, it's it. It's a rip-rolling roller coaster almost literally of a scene. I think it's some of the best indie acts we've gotten, and it's full stop, doesn't let up for 30 minutes. It's great. I think the action of itself, you just take away the – the maybe iffy moments with the CGI, it looks magnificent. It's done well, directed well, shot well, everything. Music's incredible, everything. Um, so you get that, and then it goes into the 1969 stuff, which is a not traditional Indiana Jones. It's about him aging, and it's, it doesn't shy away from him. But I like they gave us this off the top because, for one, I think it's it's important to have his face on it because you're trying to contrast that with – the 1969 version of Indiana Jones. You're trying to, and Harrison Ford himself, I've listened to a few interviews with him. He was like adamant about this. He's like, I want that to be a hard transition from Indian as prime to Indy in his underwear in 1969, being an angry neighbor with a baseball bat. Like that's, that's the hard, that hard cut into 1969 is something that he wanted specifically. And I think that's great. I think it's very bold. I think taking this character kind of back to bare bones and not trying to hide. I think obviously the first three movies are like Harrison Ford wasn't a young guy back there. He was like in his 30s and 40s back there. And as someone in my 30s, I can tell it's not easy sometimes. OK, it's I'm, I'm not as spry as I was 10 years ago. OK, so I know how it feels. But and then they go on to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and it's like. Oh, he's still good on Indiana Jones, even though he's pushing 60. Um, and this one is not trying to hide anything. It's literally the point of the movie is about aging, about he's getting old. He's literally complaining about the plates in his hips and stuff like that. And it's not – there's no knockdown, drag out fight with a giant bruiser. He literally walks up to the guy, looks at him, and goes, crap, I can't do this, and runs away from him. Like there's a scene in there. So I like that. I liked that it wasn't – the whole point of it was obviously time and aging and you can't change the past and all this kind of stuff. The themes, I think, were the best part of the movie for me. And I think it treats Indiana Jones like a real character and not just – you know, he is a cartoon character in a way, 
but it doesn't abuse that. It doesn't have 80-year-old Harrison Ford punching Nazis every five minutes and taking a beating and like it's nothing. Like he's a real guy. Yeah, yeah. The the realism and the the deconstructing of his character, I think, was it was necessary in order for you to kind of build him back up again. Um, but I, I will admit that I was kind of bummed at, I wouldn't necessarily call it a shortcut, but it did feel kind of lazy to just show divorce papers from Marion and then to like have a TV reporter make mention of the fact that, that Mutt was dead. Like, I know that they touch on it later on in the film, and I know that that Marion does eventually come back. But for that to be the first piece of exposition that tells you just how alone he is, it it was it was a little sad because I I prefer my movies to kind of build on the last one rather than feel like they're coming down off of the mountain so that they can kind of climb back up it again, if you will. And right. so that that part storytelling wise didn't really go well with me. Like as I, I I've always said this, I, I've said this on the podcast so many times. I don't like going to a movie where I feel like I could have written a better script because <laughs> it feels like a waste of my money and a waste of my time. And the way that they were writing Marion and Mutt out of his storyline and the way that they were giving him a retirement at the end, um, it, it all it all felt like kind of backpedaling before you take your steps forward. And when you count the flashback and then you count how deconstructed he is and how um, his his retirement, you know, is, is that much further along in the movie we probably go 40 minutes ish backwards before we take him forwards. And that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of backdoor backstepping exposition for a two and a half hour movie. And I don't know, maybe it could have been cleaned up a little bit to give the same ideas, the same impressions without taking up, quite so much time i i i guess what i like about indiana jones is also the the mystery it's not just the punching nazis but the the using his his smarts and his knowledge of ancient cultures to enlighten those who are less informed and he basically had none of that in the first i don't know maybe first third of the movie because he's retiring, he's done with his lectures, he's done talking to people about um, history, and it took until meeting Helena, probably 40 to 45 minutes into the film, before we even get to see his intellect. So I appreciated what we had when we got it, but it took a really long time to get there. Well, and <clears throat> going off your comments about Marion and, and him, I, I do... I have kind of a dueling kind of opinion on the whole Marion Indy relationship because on one hand, I do like how they played it off. And like going into this movie, you knew, okay, 
Shia LaBeouf is not coming back. We know Mutt's not going to be in this movie. Um, so how are they going to handle this? And I was genuinely curious, and I was a little concerned they might just blow him off and say like, oh, he's just he's just off on vacation somewhere, and he's after his own adventures. That would feel lazy to me. That would feel like just a kind of a cop out answer. Um, so going into like, okay, they need to do something with him, but what is that? Killing him off, yes, is also, I guess, could be considered lazy, but I do like how they worked into the plot, made it a kind of the emotional core of the movie and to say, okay, stuff's happened, and it's been a long time. It's been in, both in the real world and in this in the series. It's been a while, and Indy's been through a lot, and he has not had the best time. Um, and going forward you know how does he deal with that and tying it into the whole thing just paying it off with that great moment on the boat of just like you know oh would you go back in time and check in on cleopatra i'm like no i would go back in time and save my son because that's that's yes. this is this is this is an yeah. indie that has learned that it's not about the treasure it's about family yes yes i'm i'm with you that was probably one of my favorite scenes period uh, of the of the whole film was when you you see him actually get vulnerable you know there's there's a lot of times where he doesn't over the course of the franchise and so to have him learn his lessons and and be able to have an opportunity to get vulnerable that's a that's a great scene honestly i love most of the stuff that happened in italy and greece um the 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 scene on the boat right after that where they go diving in the in the sunken treasure um was was very cool i loved the retro suits and i loved the fact that um you know part of indiana jones's character for so long has been his trepidation about snakes and rather than have him have to grab onto a snake in order to get pulled out of quicksand or instead of having to dive into a cavern where there's a whole bunch of snakes uh, they send him into the depths of the ocean where there are eels that are basically giant water snakes. I thought that was super clever. I was like, oh, it's a new take on snakes that we've never had before. That's cool. So, yes, the the vulnerability and then the new take on snakes, those are two really great moments for Indy's character that happened on the boat there. I, I liked that there was a payoff. I liked that there was a follow-up. Um, but... The, to have that be like the first thing to to give you insight on it, the little news report that he's looking at the TV for. I just I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I said, the, I, I don't find this to be a perfect movie and this probably isn't going to be like the best review of Indiana Jones or the best review of a movie that I've ever given because there there are qualms that I have with this film that I do have a few nitpicks and I guess storytelling wise that that was one of them yeah no and to to go back to the point you know i was making earlier like i and i I agree with a lot of what you're saying there but like it's i like what they did with mutt and i like how they paid off the marion storyline but it is when you look at all the movies you look at just their relationship it does feel kind of weird and kind of like this yo-yo effect of, oh, they end Raiders and they've been through all this, but now they're together and it's great. And then you get to King of the Crystal Skull and oh, everything wasn't great. They he she left 
he he left her at the altar and you know basically wasn't uh it was a absentee father and all this kind of stuff but they're married now it's great and the next movie is literally the same thing again of mm. you know she they're they're in a divorce they've lost their son it's really really bad um this kind of continuing tragedy of like these can these characters get a break but once you get to the end of this movie you're like oh well everything's great now but they told us everything was great in the last movie. What's going right. to happen now? Right. Um, so I think it's a little – it's it's obviously – it's you have to put in kind of the real-world circumstances of it. These movies were dealing with certain things and how the creative creative process changed and also how certain actors just didn't want to come back, and they had to do something, and this is what they came up with. Could it have been done better? Probably, but they kind of were going with the territory. Um you know, I heard people say, why didn't they just recast him up? Why didn't they just get him back and do that? I don't know. They could have. I really liked Phoebe Waller-Bridge in this movie, though. So, you know, as much as I would have liked a continuation of much story, I kind of liked the goddaughter story of that and kind of bringing her in. I think she's really great. And also that she's not just this kind of younger Indiana Jones-like tie-in. She was – Pretty much for the half of the movie, she was almost an antagonist, which I liked. I liked that they took it a different direction. I I liked that it was it was a bold choice. It was a different choice. It was somebody that was trying to match wits with somebody who is basically the master of wits in Indiana Jones. Uh, by the way, Jesse says he's stepping away, so I'm going to say goodnight to him. Good night. Uh, and. Uh, he says he's going to try to catch the rest of it later on. So uh, hopefully you get to hear the final outcomes and we're going to read your top five as well. Uh, when we get to that segment, I kind of keep forgetting that we have that. So I need to make sure that we set aside some time for that at the end of the show, because <laughs> we do oh, have God. some responses that we need to read off and then read off our own. Um, I think the thing that I found really interesting about her character is that um, she starts off rather antagonistic and trying to be like, I'm not like my father, and I'm not like you. And then a little bit later on, we meet Teddy, who is basically her version of Short Round. Right. Like, you're you're not as far off from these people as you think, lady. And uh, to to see those similarities in the midst of the differences is an intricacy that I want to give better attention to the next time that I watch. Cause right now I've only got this one watch. Right. And I, I mentioned on Monday on the, on the Flixbusters pod that I really didn't care much for her character um, because it took so long for her arc to take place that I didn't feel like the change in her character was super genuine. I had a hard time believing that she had gone from being money focused and having broken engagements and a, a you know a trail of people being after her in her wake to having one adventure with Dr. Jones himself and suddenly she's about preserving artifacts and saving people and putting things in museums and stuff. Like people don't really change overnight like that. They don't. And so the the fact that her her character didn't change and didn't try to save him until like the last 10 or 15 minutes when everything else we knew about her up until you know right before they they went looking for Archimedes grave she's like I'm in control of this situation she says that to Teddy and I'm like okay so she's still about the money 
And then like 20 minutes later, if that, she's not about the money anymore. And it was just, it felt kind of duplicitous. And so, I, I like I said, I need to watch it again in order to see if I can find any nuances in the development of her story that can make me feel otherwise. But in the midst of appreciating them doing different, I also wasn't super convinced by her transformation late in the film. I, I think you will definitely um, you'll definitely enjoy it more and you'll catch more stuff in the second view because I did because I came because I was kind of like, oh, she's you know, she's kind of not really into this. She doesn't really like because I kind of like, oh, well, maybe she's the next Nina Jones. You know, she's going to be taken over for him. And I didn't get that impression the first time watching the movie because I'm like, eh, she's she's kind of the bad guy for a lot of this movie and she doesn't really feel kind of worthy of the title. She doesn't feel worthy of kind of taking over. She doesn't feel like she's coming at archaeology and this whole adventure thing, the same place that Indy was. But then, you know, you can see throughout the movie that he's not buying it. Indy himself is kind of not buying the whole, you know, Oh, I only care about the money. I'm doing this all for the wrong reasons. Like Teddy says, um, she, he, cause he calls her out on, it, I think when they're, maybe when they're going into the cave later on, he's like, someone doesn't like memorize eight notebooks because of the, for the money, like, because they don't care about their father. Like she, her whole thing is she doesn't care about her father, but it's not true. She really does care about her father and what her father believed in. And it's kind of, the movie is kind of about her kind of trying to be more honest with herself, not to say she's super altruistic because yeah she has a criminal record and she's had this really bad history and uh you know there's all that so she's obviously at odds with indy and like she's straight up she's like with the police like i told him to shoot you like like she's she's not on his side for a good portion of the movie um and she has a good arc i think she ends in the right place but it's not a not a i'm gonna pick up the fedora whip and, and be indiana jones I didn't get that impression at all from the movie, uh, which I'm fine with. I think that's no. good. There's only one in Ed Jones. I think it would feel too forced to do something like that. If they want to do – like I like her character enough that if they want to do more stuff with her, that's fine. But I don't I don't need Phoebe Waller-Bridge in a leather jacket and fedora no. to, to, to do that again. I, that doesn't need to happen. I don't know, and, and, that, and that wasn't what I meant about her character no. arc either. Like, I wasn't expecting her to, to put on the fedora. I just, I also didn't necessarily feel entirely convinced at her personal transformation. That, yeah. That's what I was getting at. I wasn't saying that she was transforming into the taking up the mantle. But I feel like the story was trying to imply that hanging out with Jones maybe shifted her perspective. And she went from wanting to sell the dial to wanting to preserve it, to keep it out of the hands of the people that would do wrong with it. And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, the events and the circumstances of what happened with the dial, which is a spoiler that we'll get to in a minute here. Um, maybe that could change a person, I suppose. But again, it just, it took a really long time for her to get to that point. And by the time we got there, I wasn't convinced because 90% of everything else we'd seen about her suggested the opposite. And so I, what, I, what, I'm, what I was getting at is I, I need to watch it again to see if I can pick up on any of those paradigm shifts, on any of those perspective shifts before um, 
that transformation to see if, if there was anything about the development of her character that would lead me to believe that she would change her mind on stuff like this. Cause right. like she straight up wants to, to sell stuff at an auction at one point in this film. She, she straight up like is, is running from international authorities in order to, uh, you know, keep, certain things that will help her turn a profit and she she left a man at the altar which is also a very indiana jones thing to do by the way um (laughs) but you know she she has left this this trail of roguish profiteering um actions in her wake that by the time she did feel more altruistic at the end I just I had a hard time feeling convinced that that was her true motive. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh I don't know. It's uh whole thing is interesting. I uh you know, and, and the whole juxtaposition like like you mentioned, just the whole like she's definitely kind of a inverse mirror image of things. I I I so, put her more in the category of Belloc from Raiders. Here I could see I could see Belloc Here's here's the uh, a personality trait that I that I thought of and I want to get your thoughts on. I literally just thought of this right now. All right. He is the Punisher to Jones's Daredevil. I like that a lot. I like that. I think that's probably one of the best analogies because it because they're kind of going at it from the same perspective. I think that, like, like, and you can. I'll, I'll let you add on to this too. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, my, my, my mind's racing now that your mind's racing. Uh-huh. Um, but like, I'm thinking of it just like, like, like Daredevil and, and the Punisher. They're all about, they, they're all about stopping crime. They've been wronged by society and they want to do their part. But they're coming at it from completely different angles. Mm-hmm. And so they start in one place, but then they veer off into these extremes of Daredevil doesn't want to kill anybody. Punisher's about killing everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Indiana Jones, it's like he loves the archaeology. Phoebe Waller-Bridge has a father that loves archaeology. She's got her – she's been to school for doc- archaeology. Like she loves this. And I think he's right when he says, "Okay, yeah, you're you're not doing this for the money. You're not, you know, you're not memorizing your father's notebooks for the money. You have a passion for this. You're mm-hmm. talking like this, and you're obviously doing some really bad things for the money. But ultimately, so that's where it kind of veers off. The veering off part comes when, you know, she's instead of selling stuff to museums, she's selling it to." people and auctioning it off it to shady people and stuff like that um that's kind of where it comes in and i think that's a really good point in regards to you know their things in there they have no qualms just like the punisher she kind of has no qualms with the collateral damage mm-hmm. well and i and i think too is you were you were talking about the the looking in a mirror darkly um i think there's a conversation either in in Daredevil or in The Punisher, I want to say it's Daredevil season two, where they have a conversation saying basically one course of events is all it's going to take for you to be like me. I'll give you the quote. You may give you the quote because I'll give it to you. Sure. 
you're only one bad day away from being me. That's okay, that's see, the Punisher. See, I thought that was the Joker. I need to go watch The Dark Knight. <laughs> no, that genuinely, that, that scene, speaking of stuff that sticks in your head, that scene, the scene on the rooftop where he's got Matt Murdock chained to a chimney, and he's just they have just a conversation. It's not a fight scene. It's a conversation between them. One of the best Marvel scenes, MCU, anything. One of the best superhero scenes in history, I think. Well, and that's that's essentially where you're at with Helena and and Henry. Right. You know, even their names start with an H. Like the you're 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 super super close to being the same person. But it's just one day, one course of events. It's one set of actions. And, you know, if 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 Indy decides that he doesn't trust curators anymore because one of them ripped him off or turned him over to the authorities or something, you know, all it takes is one or two untrustworthy museum curators to convince him that he would be better off selling it to to private buyers who definitely would preserve it and take care of it just in their own home instead of in a museum. And so, you know, that that could very well have been Indiana Jones if certain things had gone a different direction. And, you know, when you think about it, he lost his dad way later in life. You know, you have that lament in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where he looks at his dad's picture for a very prolonged period of time. He lost his dad at a later stage in life. Helena did not. She she lost her dad pretty young. And when you lose and when you lose a parent, somebody who had that big of an influence in your life, that can change a person. It can change your attitude. It can change your perspective. And so maybe it's the timeline of when you lose your parent. If think think about even Last Crusade to a certain extent, I know I'm going a little tangential here, but. Think about if if. Indy wasn't able to go on that last crusade adventure with his dad. What what kind of it's, it's kind of a what if type of scenario. But if if Sean Connery's character had passed before he was able to go on that adventure in the last crusade, what kind of actions would Indy have taken that might resemble Helena in this film? Yeah. And I think I think Helena represents kind of Indy at the beginning of his journey, maybe going back to Raiders, um, because he is more of a shadier character in in that film. Um, And it's it's none more brought attention to than the scene in Cairo, which is very much ironically similar to. The Daredevil Punisher scene we were talking about. I just looked up the quote. Can, can, you mind if I do a quote of the night really quick? We used to do this a long Ooh, time ago. We haven't done that in a while, by all means. This this goes directly to what we're talking about here about you know things. And I, like like I said, I think Helena is very much the Belloc of this movie. She's very much her morals and stuff. Not 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 in the sense that she will willingly get in bed with Nazis, um, maybe theoretically or literally. Um, like 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 Belloc would, but um, you know, he she, she her her she definitely is about like 
all about the money and about you know the love of archaeology over everything else over human life maybe sometimes um but the scene in cairo where belloc is just kind of monologuing to indy and he says quote you and i are very much alike archaeology as our religion yet we both have fallen from the pure faith our methods have not differed as much as you pretend i am a shadowy reflection of you it would take only a nudge to make you like me to push you out of the light end quote i think helena's definitely been nudged yes with the this with, is with, with the loss of her father she has been nudged out of the light and maybe it's indy's influence that nudges her back the other direction yeah definitely that last scene the, the, i mean the whole i think there's definitely a change when they go in the cave and indy gets shot and like she's she's all about like leaving him behind and not worrying and then she's like we're not going to leave him behind i'm going to go get on a motorcycle and board this plane as it's taking off to get indy back because this is what this means to me i don't even care about the dial um that's her kind of that's the arc she goes on that's the arc that indy goes on throughout the previous films of and he, in the previous films, he never gets things. That's something that knows I don't think anybody's talked about is throughout all these movies, Indiana Jones never gets the prize. He never gets the fortune and glory. He doesn't get the Ark. He doesn't get the Holy Grail. He doesn't get the Sankara Stones. He doesn't get the Crystal Skull. But at the end of this movie, guess what's sitting on his desk in his house? The Dial Destiny. He gets the prize in the end, but he also gets his family back, which was just was interesting to me. Yeah, um, it, what's funny is you you remember Veggie Tales, right? Of course, of course. What really frustrates me sometimes is I I think about the Veggie Tales parody covers, parody spoofs of certain franchises. The Lord of the Beans is still one of my favorites. <laughs> There is an Indiana Jones parody called Minnesota Cuke. Oh, my God. And he goes on a hunt for Samson's hairbrush. And then in the sequel, he is looking for Noah's umbrella. (laughs) And when you're talking about getting to keep the MacGuffins, I think, man. Harrison Ford's character didn't get to keep the MacGuffins, but both times, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure both times Larry the Cucumber's character got to keep his MacGuffins. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's so dumb. Where's the, where, where's the Larry the Cucumber? Where, 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 when's he coming back? When's he going to get his, his old man tail? I mean, we're probably due for it. Don't put it past them. Whoever owns that thing, they're gonna they're gonna milk it for all this. Don't let Disney buy Veggie Tales. DreamWorks owned them for a while, and they saved up enough money to basically buy their own rights back. So I think they're self-produced again, finally. Wow, a independent, long-running franchise—that's almost unheard of these days. I know, right? Steven says Helen Helena lost a parent. Henry lost a child. So it's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah, that too. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. 
Good point, dude. Glad you're here with right. us on this late night podcasting fiasco that you call that we call a podcast. <laughs> uh, Gotta love it. Okay, a couple of other points that we need to touch on before we call it a night. Um, Mads Mikkelsen as the mm-hmm. villain baller. Mm-hmm. What did you think of his performance, what he brought to the table when you look at um, some of the different villains that you have seen in the Indiana Jones franchise? Um, how How did you feel about his performance and his influence in the film and in the franchise? Yeah, I didn't expect him to be so subtly just intriguing as a character and there's several scenes where he's not it's not about like big epic monologues or him you know being a big bruiser and you know punching indiana jones you know which i kind of goes with the territory with indiana jones villains but like i liked like several scenes like the the scene with the the waiter that comes into his room and he's just like he's like seething like he's like he's almost like he's still like kind of pissed off about World War Two. And he's still this guy like you. You didn't win the war. You know, Hitler lost it. And like the guys the guys like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? Like he's like he's very it's a really great acting from that actor that I, I don't know his name. But like he's just really selling just the idea of just being really freaked out as anybody would when somebody talking to you like that. And then just going forward of this very interesting idea of, you know, what kind of, what kind of Nazi would kill the Fuhrer one that's, you know, that's seen the error of Hitler's ways and has seen the future and is living in a world where, you know, and just the juxtaposition and yes, maybe even some sly social commentary of, you know, living in a world where Nazis are a thing of the past, but maybe they're not, maybe they're back in a weird way and they're trying to bring back their, their way of life and it's not good. And, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of death in this movie. There's a lot of people that get killed that um, don't deserve it. There's a lot of bystanders that get killed. And I get that's a little jarring, but also I think it's just kind of hammers home. Like how, evil these people are they're not they're not just nazis they're not just like nazis in name only they're not like oh you know they're evil because they call themselves nazis it's here's an illustration of how evil they are um and just yeah go ahead the the concept of nazis were were very gray in in this film compared to others because he was working for the u.s government to help launch a ship into space Right. So he's got U.S. government agents that he's been slowly convincing to to turn on their own country almost. And it was it was never more complex than when uh, Seanette Renee Wilson's character, Agent Mason, was working basically for uh, Maz Mickelson for 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 uh, was it Moeller? How do you pronounce it? I forget. Uh, ooh, you had to. Voler, Voler? Voler. Yeah, I think it's. Voler. Can't can't roll my R, so I'm not gonna even try it. Voyer, Voler. I'm I'm really bad at that. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not German. But when when Agent Mason is working for the Nazis, it's extremely confusing. Um, but I think it's a testament 
to his wits that he has about him. And when Indiana Jones is as old as he is, you need somebody that is not just physically put together. You need somebody who can match intellect and wits with him. And I think that is what Voller brought to the table the most. He was just as hellbent on getting the dial. He was just as hellbent on using it. He was just as hellbent on, you know, out racing Indiana Jones to different locations and, and doing everything in his power to being the guy that comes out on top. But it's not like he was doing all of that by himself when the time came for his henchmen to, you know, do some of the dirty work. He was able to delegate that stuff pretty well. So, right. I, and I, I, I also I also just like the idea that um, he's a physicist. He is not someone who is he's not another archaeologist like usually villains in Indiana Jones are like other archaeologists like Belloc or you know, um, even I think Spalco is kind of in that is kind of the uh, with the occult and stuff like that. Um, a kind of a, a matching of the wits with Indiana Jones. He's a physicist. He's a you know he's he's a very smart guy, but his blind spot is history, and that's what ultimately undoes his plan is that he doesn't realize that Archimedes wouldn't know about continental drift so how 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 could he possibly make the right calculations he was he was so hellbent on being right he was so hellbent on being first and had such tunnel vision about what he was going to do with the power that he didn't spend the proper amount of time obtaining it properly if that makes sense yeah. And so but, yeah. it it's it's worth it's worth mentioning though. Um Steven is actually about to leave now too, which is Aww. I think that I think I think that's a testament to how late we're going. <laughs> <laughs> when Steven can't even stay up with us anymore, we know we're going late. Um but um I think I think what's what's interesting and we're finally going to get into some more spoilery territory here as we get ready to close the the i wouldn't call it the finale because you have maybe it is the finale and then the scene at the apartment is the epilogue or something like that i don't know yeah Um, yeah but the 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 big fight sequence spoiler alert that takes you back in time all the way to the days of archimedes himself it's a it's a very very interesting extrapolation on closed loops of history, um, things that are doomed to repeat themselves. But it, it's also just fascinating to think about the the dial actually working. Most of the time, when the MacGuffin works, it kills people. But this time, the MacGuffin works and it transports you back in time which was fascinating. It was, it was a, it wasn't just a, oh, it, it was the, it was the opposite of what happens to Raiders. Raiders is, let's get this thing, let's get this thing, and let's open it up. And then Indy gets to the finish line, he's like, no, we can't, don't look at it. Literally, don't look away from it. Close your eyes, don't look into the thing, because it'll kill you. 
this was almost this wonderful thing of holy crap this is time travel this is this is not this thing doesn't have power it just shows you this kind of naturally occurring time travel that happens in nature i guess and it's brought people back it's archimedes did this on purpose to bring people back and then you have the nazis trying to misuse it ultimately do it and but it's not just a oh let's kill some nazis in a brutal way which well played um but it's also this moment where indy is like oh my god this is like he's enamored by it so much so that he wants to stay there and you can't really blame him but it creates a great moment for him to kind of experience this to you know him you know going through this and experiencing history through archaeology and getting to experience it literally firsthand i think he even says at one point he's like oh my god this is we're seeing history happen right in front of our eyes like this is amazing um but then helena being the one to kind of say no you're not you're not finished i love i love the line it kind of brought a tear to my eye lat last yesterday watching it, it, it when she says you're not finished you're not finished I think that's just a brilliant emotional line. Just the fact of like when you people you get to a certain age and it's just like, oh, you're 70, 80 years old. Well, okay. It's like the meme. I guess I'll just die. Yeah, <laughs> I I'll guess die. I'm just I guess I'm just done. And just the whole the meaning and the 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 symbolism behind that of just like, no, you don't have to be done. You can be old. You can still live your life and have fun, and you still have your family. And he goes back, and Sala's there, and Marion's there, and the kids are there, and you know he still has a life. He still has things. If those people, those people would be mourning him if he hadn't come back. And Helena was there to teach him that lesson. So I think that was, you know, as as wild as it was, I think it's a great scene, and just the cojones that they had. James Mangold, bravo for being willing to to send Indiana Jones back in time because that's that's a big big ask. I think one of the things that I really love about the scene is he doesn't really care that there's a battle going on. He right. like he he's watching all of this happen and there's all these soldiers with weapons that some of them are coming his direction and he doesn't care. He's like if I'm going to go what a way to go, you know? And it's it's very reminiscent, for me at least, of when the crew arrives at Elon Nublar in the first Jurassic Park movie. Oh. You know, they're they're pulling up to the park and Hammond tells the Jeeps to stop. And Alan stands up in the Jeep and pulls his sunglasses off and he looks in amazement at real life dinosaurs. You know, Indiana Jones is standing up from this wrecked plane that has been shot down and he is witnessing the siege of Syracuse, an archaeological dig that he may have visited at one point. He is watching it unfold before his very eyes. And this this fight and their fighting styles and the armor that they're using and everything about it is something that he used to dig around for. And he, he used to look at it and speculate on how it used to play out. 
and now he gets to watch it unfold before his very eyes. It's his version of they're moving in herds. They do move in herds. Right. This this realization of something that he has only dreamed of his entire life, his entire career builds and culminates in this moment. I bet in that moment for Alan, if if a predator had come out and eaten him, he's like, that's fine. I studied dinosaurs my whole life. What a way to go. <laughs> Indiana Jones is thinking the same thing. He's made a life out of history. And to get to be a part of that history would have been an honor for him. I have no doubt. Right. right. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a great it's a great moment for him of just like kind of seeing him geek out a little bit of just like, yeah, it's it's history and it's you know, it's happening right in front of your eyes and holy crap. Um, but and then going forward to that and going like, you know, you 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 don't belong here. This is great. This is wonderful. This is this is amazing to see this, but this is not your time. You would screw up some things. You stayed and also you would you know, you 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 have your own time to go back to. And I think, you know, that's 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 a great message and you know, kind of I don't think I think my only my only maybe qualm with that maybe with that whole scene is just like some people echoed this of just like Maybe if he could have come to that conclusion on his own, if he didn't have to be literally be punched, <laughs> um, if if he had you know decided. But he was pretty adamant. And there's a moment there where I thought, okay, this is it. This is how this is ending. But um, they didn't. So I appreciate that because uh, I I genuinely thought they might do a uh you know uh, uh, what's the last Indiana not the Indiana Jones movie the the last you know um James Bond movie <laughs> you know I thought they might kill him off and I thought this might how it ends but I'm glad they didn't it came dangerously close and and it was kind of a jarring moment when Helena knocks him out and you're like oh okay I guess he's not staying after all like if if he had had his way and she hadn't like forced that situation onto him he probably would have stayed and he probably would have died so like he was he was willing to do that but i find it fascinating that you know the the soldiers shooting down the plane and archimedes discovering the dial is what helps him complete it in the first place which it's that dial that leads the people in the plane to show up in syracuse you know what i mean right and it's the person who died on the plane wearing a watch that leads to Archimedes learning how to make a watch for himself. And they discover that watch in his tomb. They're saying, um, this shouldn't be here. He shouldn't have discovered this yet. But I think I think the implication that was that and I could be wrong here, I think that was actually Voller's watch. Was it? I I think the implication is that it was a time loop, like you were talking about. Yeah. It was this cyclical. They went to the tomb. They hadn't been to the past yet, but the watch and the dial were already there, which means that that stuff already happened. It was already fixed. It was always going to happen, and there was nothing that there was like because that was the the Nazis thing. Just like. Oh, we're gonna go back in time. We're gonna change everything. We're gonna change past. You can't do that. It's not how time travel works. Stuffs that had the past 
has happened. If you go back in time, that's already happened too. You can't change it. It's a canon event is what it is. It's a canon event. There you go. <laughs> so um, real quickly, that is probably the other major controversial scene in the film. How how did that scene work for you? Did did that one work as well as the opening scene full of CGI or did it do better? Did it do worse? How did that scene work for you? Like the whole battle scene? Yeah, the the battle scene and the time loop element. I I just remember being in the theater going like, oh, my God, I was freaking out. I'm like, they're actually doing this because I was like because my expectation was, oh, well, it's going to be like the other Indiana Jones movies. They're going to get to a point and it's going to they're going to activate the device and it's going to open up a portal and you're going to see like henry jones senior in there and indy's gonna be tempted to go back in time and see his dad or see his son or whatever else and that's gonna be and he's gonna you know he's gonna turn away from that and that'll be the end of it and the, the nazis will get their faces melted and that'll be the end of it um i did not at all expect like a full-on okay let's go back in time let's go back two thousand years um so i was very pleased with that whole scene and, and just like the whole and the fact that like i love that some of those scenes are actually in the uh in the trailers <laughs> like there's a full there's like these landscape scenes of uh the ships in the in the outside of uh outside of sicily um like are in the trailer but you can't tell that it's like ancient ships um just wild stuff but i i couldn't help but appreciate them being having the cojones to do it it was bold it was definitely bold and i think this scene worked better for me uh, than the opening scene did, but I definitely can see how that would be something that might um, be uh, averse. Maybe I'm running out of vocabulary. I'm running out of words. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely the craziest third act of an Indiana Jones movie thus far. I think it's like melting Nazi faces. And, you know, uh, people turning into skeletons and even people getting their hearts ripped out and even aliens showing up is not as crazy as let's take Indiana Jones 2000 years of the past. That's pretty wild. I don't know. Interdimensional beings that look like they came out of a spinoff from the alien franchise. That's, that can be pretty wild. I mean, it depends on your definition of crazy. I think personally i don't think the interdimensional beings works that great i don't think that's the best moment of that movie but i think this time travel stuff is probably the best moment of this movie oh man i i like the finale and i like anything that has to do with the boat i like There's i like good stuff in there i like pretty much anything that that begins with uh banderas all the way up until the point that they they leave the boat and continue the rest of the adventure because it's got the dynamite scene in it which is really really fun uh it's got the 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 diving scene with the old old diving equipment and it's got the eels and it's got the the negotiation where uh voler actually shoots somebody and kills them as a way of getting his point across um very poignant scenes there on the boat the 
all the boat scenes I think are like low key some of the best of the movie because like you have the emotional scenes, you have the the diving scene, which is something we've never seen in an Indian film before. Um, we have the great character that Antonio Banderas plays, which is is simultaneously it's refreshing to have like such a small role played by such a great actor and thus it 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 highlights the role but then it's also like he dies in a horrible way and it makes it all the worse but um you know it's it's great and the whole the whole how they get out of it and and helena starts to turn her ways and you know her using the dynamite to to foil the thing and not giving them all the information it's just it's a really well well thought out sequence of events i really like it yep yep that and then the finale slash epilogue are probably some of the highlights for me yeah as far as as storytelling goes as far as moments goes um this is the stuff that like you said at the top of the discussion is the stuff that kind of convinces you that it's time to hang up the fedora you know (laughs) I, as much as we love the franchise, it's probably time to to call it. And the way that they wrap everything up and put a nice little bow on it and give you a, a very happily ever after type of vibe um, is just enough to make you realize, okay, this is the send off. We're not killing him off, but we are sending him off. And John Williams's musical score, you know, finally shines its brightest at the at the best possible time and we we say farewell most likely to a beloved character that's been around for over 40 years you realize this is the second lucasfilm production i think maybe in a row that's had a partial iris out to just a focus on one thing and then going to black you notice this you talk about Mando? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't work for Mando, but <laughs> I was okay with it for this. It's just weird that that hasn't been used in movies in like a hundred years, it feels like, and all of a sudden Lucasfilm's using it twice. Yeah, but it, it works here. I it feel, definitely works here. I feel like it works here. And I, I liked the 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 very obvious parallels of of him um you know kissing Marion in the places that she kissed him oh yeah yeah in the in the first movie um i liked that you had sala come back one last time to be a part of the fun i liked that helena now feels like she's got a family she can be a part of like and then i didn't notice it but you said that he's actually got the dial in his apartment at this point the first time I watched the movie, I saw it. I'm okay. pretty sure it's in the apartment. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. So he's case. he's he's even got he's even got the MacGuffin for the first time ever. So yeah, this is this is a great way to to wrap things up and to to land the plane, as it were. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's go into our final thoughts and our overall scores for this film, and then we'll jump into our top fives um pretty quickly there's not a whole lot of fives to read off and it's pretty easy to read them but uh still got to get that knocked out before we can call it a night so final thoughts and planet score for dial of destiny ben Ooh, okay so like i said i think 
this movie is incredible. It's it's one, easily one of my favorite movies of the year um, so far, and I've seen a lot of good movies this year, so that's saying a lot. And it's one of the like, – as I said on, on, on social media just a couple days ago, um, this is like the only – one of the few movies outside of uh, Avengers Infinity War and I believe Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 that I have seen more than once in a theater that wasn't a Star Wars movie. So that's a pretty big thing for me. Okay, I don't usually go back to the theaters more than once for something that's not Star Wars. So that just kind of show how much I really did enjoy this movie. Like I said, very satisfying, very much a movie that I feel is worthy of Indiana Jones being his last adventure um, and something that really was worth the wait after all these years. And like I said, I was skeptical as anyone if they could actually get this right. And even even though I, I really do like King of the Crystal Skull, I recognize its fault. I recognize that it's not the best movie that it could have been. And were they going to kind of go back to some of those faults being that things? And also, you know, you have the fear of this is Harrison Ford at the time, almost 80. Now he is 80. Is this going to be kind of, dare I say it, pathetic in regards to, oh, it's, it's this character we loved, but he's he's old and he's not as spry as he used to be. This movie leans into that. I think that's probably the best part of the movie is the fact that it doesn't doesn't cheapen that. It doesn't it takes it all very seriously and goes like, yes, we're calling this out. We're leaning into it. We're recognizing that Indiana Jones is old. He's old. And that's not a bad thing, okay? It's fine, actually. It shows, and I hope it's an inspiration to people. I genuinely do. I'm just like, you can get old, but you don't have to stop. You don't have to stop being who you are. Um, and that's a really just a powerful thing to see, and and something that I think people will connect to a lot. And I, I just I know I'm not near as old as Harrison Ford, but I am inspired by how how much I hope when I'm 80 years old I can continue doing what he anything remotely close to what he's doing. Um, but all of that is to say, as I'm just rambling non coherently here, is that I like the movie. Okay, it was really great, guys, and I'll give it a nine out of ten. Oh man, Steven gave it an 8.5. Wow, is that? And Ben's giving it a a nine out of a possible. I'm 10. surprised, Steven. Steven, because because Steven was like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about this, and Steven was like, Okay, you guys are were not crazy. This movie was great. I'm like, We got Steven, guys. Steven likes it. Even Steven likes it. Yeah, y'all aren't gonna like my score. <laughs> I look, I, I I knew this was coming, so just lay it on me. So over on Flixbusters, we have four different criterion that we look at. It's one of the new things that we do to kind of give it a new type of, of scoring system. Um we we take a look at the creativity of a film. And that has to do with the story, the writing, the character arcs. Then we have quality, which is production quality, directing, acting, CGI would fall into this category as well. Sound has to do with sound design, um, how the soundtrack sounded, how the musical score sounded, um, and how that contributed to the, the film. And then there's a 25 possible bonus points that is just the wild card enjoyment factor how much you enjoyed the film that you watched. 
as far as the the creativity goes, the story, the writing, the character arcs, I had some concerns about Indy's character at the beginning of the film. I had some questions about Helena's character at the end of the film. So it only got 17 out of a possible 25 for me there. Mm-hmm. As far as the quality goes, I had concerns about the CGI, uh, especially with the de-aging of Harrison's face. And so um, that didn't get super high marks. I only gave that a 17 out of 25. I loved the sound. I loved the John Williams score. I loved the music. I loved um, some of the subtleties of the sound design, uh, particularly on the boat and in the cavern and then in uh, in the, the fight with... Uh, with Syracuse. So that one got a 22. And then my enjoyment factor was like 20 out of 25. There were times where I felt like it was a bit long. There were times where I had some questions, but overall I had a good time with it. So when you tally all of that up, my, my score out of a hundred was 76 points. So in keeping with, how I scored it on one podcast. I'm going to stay true to that on the other podcast and it's going to get a 7.6. I still, I still see that as a passing grade and I still think that it's very in line with what most critics are kind of giving it because like I said, IMDB has it at like a 6.9 and uh, I'm giving it a 7.6. And then the Rotten Tomatoes score, I believe, is 69% from the tomatoes and then 88 from the audience. So the audience score is very, very close to what you and Steven have for it, Ben. And then okay. I think I think my score is a little bit closer to me, but still higher than what the Rotten Tomatoes creators are giving for it. So... We get yeah, kind of yeah. both. We get kind of both ends of the spectrum with with that. Yeah, that, no, that makes sense. I think uh, you know, just uh, the whole. I think the critics were a little more harsh on it, and that's that's what kind of brought the score down early on. It coming out of cans, it was very, um, very much uh, not the best of reviews there. But it it kind of improved over time. I think the cr- critics kind of leveled off in more of a where where you're landing there. Um, I think the the I'm more on the higher end of the, the audience scores. Uh, I think it's where me and Steve are landing. So uh, that's, it, it all makes sense. Well, I'm curious to see where this film lands in regard to everybody's five films. That is our next segment. We're going to jump right into top five Indiana Jones movies. And there's a lot of responses, but not a ton, that came from our friends over in the Intergalactic Peace Hangout. Uh, some folks like joey straight up haven't seen dial of destiny yet oh. and so he doesn't even have it listed he's got temple of doom at the bottom crystal skull last crusade and then raiders of the lost ark is at the very top but he says tbd dial of destiny he doesn't even have it listed yet um spoiler alert there is one list on here that is identical to my list oh really there is one set of five that is uh, – hold on. Is it still there? Let me see. i got to make sure I'm not saying this wrong. Uh, not that one, not that one, not that one. Mm, 
I may have spoken too soon. I'm looking at them. I don't see um, – there is one particular movie that I put. I think it's going to be a hot take that I don't think anybody else put it in that position except one person, but they have the other swap, so it's not the – it's not the same, so I, I don't have any cloned lists in, in regards to mine. Uh, you know what? Actually, I don't think I have the same list as anybody else. Really? So we're all unique tonight. I'm 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 looking at this, going, hmm. I don't see my list on here. Actually, after all, I thought I did, but I I don't think it's here. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Well, you want to run through these really quick? Um, you wanna, yeah. You'll, you want, you want to take like a like two at a time or something like that? How do you how you want to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's save some of the the um, longer ones for the end. We gave you Joey's. I'm gonna jump down a little bit and I'm gonna do um some of the ones that are just listed. So Dan Grievous has Temple of Doom at the fifth spot. Crystal Skull at four. Dial of Destiny is right in the middle at three. Raiders of the Lost Ark is at two, and Last Crusade is at one uh all you have to do for um robin glader is pretty much read off the same thing i think, I think <laughs> I just realized that <laughs> it's temple of doom at five crystal skull at four dial of destiny at three raiders at two and last crusade at one it was just spelled differently and and dan had like quote marks on all of his and so I didn't I didn't realize until just now um, well, we, we didn't give uh, again, we didn't give people a wide range of topics to choose from. It's not like, you know, right. top five movies you never say no to. You have literally every movie that's ever been made to pick from right. as opposed to five movies out of five. <laughs> Right. So, um, right. So, so there's a lot gonna, of repetitiveness in here. It's just going to be like some some different orders here. Um, basically, Chris Abbott, aka Star Raptor, has uh, five and four flipped. He's got Crystal Skull at the bottom at five, Temple of Doom at four, Dial of Destiny is in the middle again at three, Raiders of the Lost Ark is at two, and Last Crusade is at one. Tim Ford. Tim doesn't comment a whole lot, but when he does, um. We always appreciate it. He's yeah. got Crystal Skull at five. Dial of Destiny is at four. This is the first time uh, Destiny has been that low, I think. Uh, Temple of Doom all the way up at the three spot. Last Crusade at two. And then Raiders of the Lost Ark at one. Scott Forbes is another part of that camp that says, I haven't seen Dial yet. I keep hearing conflicting reviews, so I'm reticent to pay for it. Well, Scott, if anything about history rings true, you'll probably be able to see it on Disney Plus uh, by the end of August. It so. also could be uh, a lot of people could be like Scott. They could be like, yeah, I'm, I've kind of heard conflicting reviews, so I'm just going to wait until it's on Disney Plus to watch it. So you can't really blame me, but that could be, you know, part of the reason why the box office has been kind of bad. Could be, could be. Uh, Jesse was in the chat earlier, but he went ahead and commented on this prompt as well. And I'm going to leave this one for you, buddy, because he made it specifically for you. <sighs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He says in no particular order. <laughs> and just to spite you, I'm going to read it in a particular order because he mixed up all the numbers. He's got 
Well, actually, I'll read it in the number again because this is just – you have to see this to believe it. Uh, number two, Last Crusade. Number five, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Number four, Temple of Doom. And number three, Dial of Destiny. Make from that it, as you will. I don't know what to make of that list except I'm just going to try to ignore it. <laughs> you're not going to get a rise out of me, Jesse. Uh, just the way you're speaking, I think he's gotten a rise out of you. It's, it's hilarious. <sighs> He, he gave he gave us the one two three four five, but he didn't put them in numerical order. Hilarious! I, I love that this group has found ways to participate in malicious compliance. Just when you thought you'd outsmarted them by only giving them five options, Ben. See, they, it's my fault. I've allowed my emotions to get the best of me and allowed uh, that to let them know exactly what gets under my skin. So they they do it. It's like you know, like a parent, you know. If they find out what what annoys you and they keep doing it. Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, Are you cool if I do um, Shinder and then you bring us home? Absolutely. Okay. Um, Doom of the Temple, the one with too much screaming and gross out moments, is at number five for Steven Shinder. Um, He's captioning these like Friends episodes. The one with, the one with, the one that, the one where. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's basically boy, oh boy. how it's gonna go at number four skull of the crystal kingdom the one with the aliens that should have looked practical <laughs> arc of the lost raiders the one with the cringe romance backstory <laughs> number two i think this is the highest we've seen dial of destiny he calls it destiny's dial though the one that took risks that made sense and then Crusade the Last, the one with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Fun fact. Fun fact. I was looking at the trivia for this movie, uh, Dial of Destiny. And on board the train in the flashback sequence, one of the other items on display in the in the um, car where they have the dagger right. is the holy hand grenade from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I think I saw that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> if you're looking, if you're looking for Easter eggs, they are there. They're just very subtle. But the holy hand grenade of Antioch is on board the train in uh, the opening sequence. See that? I uh, do. I genuinely can't wait till it's on Disney Plus because that's when people are really going to start picking it apart. That's those oh, yeah. scenes and all the, the Easter eggs in there. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. Okay. So up next, we've got Matthias who I'm going to read it. He put his number one first. I'm going to read it as he sent it in. And he says, uh, number one, Crusade, a masterpiece, best best father and son story ever with epic action and phenomenal actors. Number two, Raiders, masterpiece, epic action, phenomenal actors, and story that introduces us to one of the best franchises ever. Number three, Dial, a fantastic and epic ending to the franchise that pays off so much for the whole series. Mads Mikkelsen is a phenomenal villain, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a great as Helen Helena, even if she was a little too much 2020s attitude in 1969. Fair enough. Uh, we would have liked that Teddy. That's actually, was, a really good point. Yeah, I could I could see that a little bit. I've always wondered that, about you know mm-hmm. writing characters are supposed to be period pieces, but they. They talk like they're from the modern day and how you do that. It's a, it's definitely a, can be a, a minefield. Oh, man, that's a good point, Matthias. Thanks for yeah. that. That's a, but that's he, a he, 
<laughs> it is. He goes on to say, uh, would have liked that Teddy was even more involved in saying for Hawk, the big Nazi bad guy who barely fought Indy at all. Antonio Banderas' character also should have been someone we knew at that moment where he died would have actually mattered more to us. Fair enough, too. Um, number four, Skull, great action and story, but the main threat could threat main thread could be better with written in the last half it got lost in all the action even though i do love the action they also should have cut out the whole atom bomb plot it's only there because of that time period but ends up feeling very unnecessary and bad the mackerel should have either been smaller or bigger he feels kind of like a plot device i feel like if crystal skull had been better better received like mac may have been like in the opening scenes of this movie would have been interesting to see them doing that because apparently they're supposed to be buddies at some point. Anyway, going on with Matthias, he says, uh, number five, Doom. Great action and story and some fantastic characters like Short Round would have been higher if Willie was not written as the most annoying character ever. Also fair enough. Uh, no, none of these are actually bad, though, and that should be respected very, very highly considered how much other franchises fail at that. And in quote, I completely agree. Those are all really good points and really great contributions, considering we only posted that prompt like 12 hours ago. So thank you to everybody. That Seriously. That People gave us those responses and gave us content to talk about on the show. But we are getting a little crunched for time. So we're going to run through our five real quick and uh, maybe try to give, you know, one to two sentences explanation as to why we've got it where we've got it. Is that fair? Yeah, ben? That is perfectly fair. Okay. I've talked enough, okay? We've we've been talking a lot. Um but I I don't think anybody who has heard my thoughts before is going to have any um surprise with what I've got at my number 5. It's Temple of Doom. Um it it's not a bad movie. I enjoy the the chase sequence in in the rock quarry, but Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have both gone on the record saying that they made this movie during some very dark points in their lives, including the loss of relatives and a divorce. And that that darkness and that macabre feeling is uh, just very, very over the top prevalent in this film. And it's it's very tough to rewatch. So, mm -hmm. um it's just it's it's not one that I enjoy as much as the other ones. So I got to put something at the bottom. And uh, that's what Temple of Doom is. Well, um, you could say we're kind of of the same mind here because Kingdom of the Crystals. I'm not. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll get to it eventually. Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom is also my number five. Um, and it's. For most of the same reasons, like I recently rewatched it and I really enjoyed it. I think it's a great movie, but it does have its its bad bits. I think the opening scenes are great and the ending is great. It's kind of the middle portion that's kind of rough to sit through. And I think on rewatch, if I'm going to watch it for like a fun, rip-roaring Indiana Jones adventure, I'm not going to put on Devil of Doom first. OK, I'm just not because it's oh. an intense movie and you cannot have to be in oh. the mood for it. And, you know, yes, the pulling out of hearts, out of chess and, you know, drinking of the blood of Kali, it's all very intense. And, you you know, it's 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 not a it's not a movie for the squeamish and the things. And I have been known to be squeamish. OK, so, you know, it's not necessarily my favorite Indiana Joe's movie, which is why it's at number five. But I still enjoy it because 
there's a point to it. It is all it kind of like it starts strong and then it kind of slows down and builds up to a really great finale. I think it's one of the best finales of the series, but the whole movie is not that. So that's why it falls at number five for me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, at number four for me is going to be Crystal Skull. Again, it's not one of those ones where I, I have a ton of problems with it. In fact, on my last rewatch, I probably had fewer problems with it than I have with other rewatches. Um, there's a lot of really good things in this. Um, the the problem solving and the character development and the banter that goes on between Harrison Ford and Shia LaBeouf. The fact that there is a um, saber fight that takes place on Jeeps that are driving through the Amazon rainforest. Um, there's there's some really creative, pretty badass stuff that happens in this movie that unfortunately gets tainted by one sequence that unfortunately pretty much the entire movie hinges on. And so um, it, it, it does suffer a bit of a bad reputation, but it is still a fun movie. Um, it's just not as fun for me as some of the other ones. Yep. And surprise, surprise. Crystal Skull is also my number four. Um, sensing a theme here. Um, but uh, for a lot of the same reasons, like I really do enjoy Crystal Skull. I think it's got a lot going for it. I think I think it gets too much of a bad rap a lot of times. I think people just like pick out like, oh, the it's the, the refrigerator scene and the, the monkey scene and that's the whole movie and it's bad. And I'm just like, no, there's, there's a lot more to this movie. There's a lot of really good stuff. I think the opening scene is incredible. Um, classic Indiana Jones. Um, and there's a lot of other stuff. I think the, the fight in the jungle, maybe minus the one little bit with the monkeys is, is really fun and really great. I think there's a lot of good action in it. Um, the one thing that I, pull back on is you know just the aliens i think just having like an alien like almost break the fourth wall in the, in the last act and like look into the camera is it's a bit much it's something that i i definitely could have done without in the movie so it, it definitely gets docked some points for that but overall it's a fun movie but it's it doesn't doesn't hit me like the other ones do that's fair that's fair uh, now comes the interesting part. What's going to get the third spot? What's going to get the silver? And what's going to get the gold medal for these mm-hmm. these final three? Interestingly enough, all three of our remaining spots feature Nazi villains. Take yes, that. they do. Take that as you will. But for me, my third spot is going to be Dial of Destiny. Um, I, I think it's a good send-off, like Matthias said. I think it, it ends things pretty well. Um, I was satisfied with what I got, and I think that 76 rating out of 100 that I gave it would fit very well in the other um, ratings that I would give to the other films. Crystal Skull would probably be around a 70. Temple of Doom would probably be somewhere in the 60s. So I think as far as numbers ratings go, this is also pretty on par. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is right in the middle as far as where... Uh, my favorites go. It's not my very, very favorite, but it's also not my very, very least favorite. So it's going to go smack dab in the middle. That's fair enough. And if you you may remember, especially those of you who are friends with us on Facebook, you may have noticed that um, Zach did actually post his order on Facebook, maybe on Twitter, too, but just maybe on Facebook. Um, and I saw it and I comment on it. And you may recall my comment. I said, this is the correct order. (laughs) 
And because I really did like your your order, I was like, okay, this is great. I'm like, because I you put it, I was mostly reacting to the fact that you didn't put Dial at the bottom. <laughs> I was like, okay, he at least tolerated this movie. He at least thinks it's better than Temple of Doom and Crystal Skull. So that's a plus. Um, well, what's but, funny is I only used one word for each one, so I would do like I would do like Skull, Dial, <laughs> Doom, Jake being the dumbass that he is. <laughs> He comments on it with the caption, Zach's top five baby name choices. <laughs> dial Arnold. There you go. Oh no, don't don't dial Arnold. <laughs> also, don't 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 put it out there. They're not, they, they ain't happening yet. I don't want any dirty rumors suggesting it here. There's a there's a there's a there's a a, a good old uh, skull Arnold coming along anytime soon. Nope. Nope. Sorry, sir. But my point is, is that I agreed with your list, and this is one of the few times I actually knew your list prior to a show. One of the very. But then I started, th- but then I started thinking, do I actually agree with your list, and do I actually is that? Am I going to completely just 100% go down the line and mark off your list with mine? And I decided, no, I'm not. So my number three, my number three is Last Crusade. And it's not not because I don't love Last Crusade, because I absolutely love Last Crusade. It's so good. And I don't know. I haven't seen it in a little bit. So, I mean, I could watch it tomorrow. It would be number one because I am fully just, you know, like I said, I love Temple of Doom. I just saw it recently. I watched Raiders recently. I watched Dial of Destiny twice. So, you know, it's these movies are all kind of fresh in my mind. Last Crusade is kind of far off. So I'm I'm a little bit maybe I'm a little biased, maybe. But. I still look type three is not bad and last crusade absolutely deserves it. it is an incredible movie. I by all means a perfect movie. I think there's definitely a, like it's a lot of people's number ones and it's absolutely deserves it. I think on a good day it would obviously be my number one too, but it's number three tonight. Hmm. Interesting. Well, your number three, sir, is actually going to be my number two. And so for those of you who are able to do process of elimination, you know where we're going with this. <laughs> I did I did get a chance to watch Last Crusade. It was after I watched Isle of Destiny, but I came home and uh, watched it either that night or the next day. And it's so fun. The banter between Connery and Ford is uh, is some of the best father-son banter of any movie. And it's it's so incredibly fun. And the only reason that it's at number two is because number one um, is is purely nostalgic. I guess I'll go ahead and round it out. I mean, obviously, people know what it's going to be like. Right. Uh, like now that I've given away my number two, my, my number one is Raiders. And Raiders was the first one I saw. And it's the one that I just remembered the most fondly of. Um, sometimes you have to uh, approach things with not just a quality factor, but also a nostalgia factor, that enjoyment factor. Um, and I just I enjoy Raiders every time I watch it. And it's probably the only Indiana Jones that would ever even be considered for the uh, top five. Never say no list. It's not in there. But if I was to make a top 10, it probably would be. So Last Crusade at two Raiders at one for me. That's a really good list. It's a really good list. And I will go ahead and reveal my top two. And I think you know what the top two are, and you're probably wondering, well, what order are they going to be in? 
And I will say, Dial of Destiny is my number two. That was, I thought long and hard about it, and I was like, I I feel strongly about this, and maybe I'll change my mind in the future, but for right now, I really do feel like it is is above Last Crusade, only second to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark is, I consider to be one of the greatest movies ever made, one of the most perfect movies ever made. And just an incredible movie that never ceases to amaze me. I never cease to be tired of watching it. Um, it's just a fun movie. It's just it, it obviously got all this started, and it's the movie you continue to go back to. And just like just 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 and just seeing the the behind the scenes of that movie and how it got started and how it was just like they just really made it really quickly and very haphazardly. The fact that movie was a miracle that it got made the way it did. In spite of all this, and yeah, it's it's an incredible film that it, I you know I knew going in like that was one of the things I knew about Dallas Destiny is it's not going to top Raiders. It's never there's, that movie cannot yeah. be topped because there's no movies. I mean that Raiders is up there with like the upper echelons of movies like Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park, E.T., Back to the Future. Those movies that are literally you cannot top them they are incredible perfect pieces of art um so for that it is my number one all good reasons dude all very good very justifiable reasons it's probably the most straightforward top five we've ever done and i don't think there was a whole lot of conflict and or controversy in those like it was very easy this is the easiest top five i've ever had like the Nothing. only the only discrepancy was just like swapping Last Crusade for Dial of Destiny at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it helps when you only have one. Like you only have five options to choose from, so you have to make it like five through one. So that made it that made it a lot easier. Right. But uh, we do we do have one more element that we need to talk about now that the top fives are done, and this one's going to be pretty straightforward because uh, we're just basically commenting on a video. Um, but it's 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 cute. That's the best word I can use for it. It's very but cute. It, it's it's a cute video, and uh, I think it just it, it highlights one of our favorite topics. So uh, I don't think anybody's listening live still because Stephen and Jesse both left for the night. But be sure to use this hashtag on social media whenever you are either at a barbecue establishment or nearby or eating something out from from your grill on the bobby. But uh, get out that hashtag, folks. Check it on social media. Use it when you can. It's time for another edition of hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Watch. So Ben, this is a link that I sent to you. Actually, mm-hmm. I sent it to the the peacekeeper, peace bros chat. I think is what we call it. Jake is still a part of it, and we still touch base with him uh, whenever we get the chance. He's married with two kids now and just living his best life and we're super happy for him 
but uh, that bum goes off and gets married and has kids right he's got a life how dare he um but uh we we still chat and send memes and stuff to each other one of the ones i sent was a bag of charcoal that was labeled as different characters (laughs) from rogue one (laughs) jeez that's just terrible (laughs) sorry it made me laugh but then one of the other barbecue watch um, elements that I sent y'all recently was a video I saw of a British guy who thought he knew barbecue until he experienced American barbecue. And, and, and I've actually I've got it queued up right now. But want to listen real quick? Yeah, by all means. I didn't yeah, know you it. had it. I thought it was going to oh. get edited in post. But no, yes. no, no. Well, let's listen to it right now. Let's let's do a live reaction, shall we? Yes, please. Here's things that I learned as a Brit in America. It's going to hurt me to say this one. It's going to hurt me to say this one. But I shall swallow my pride and say it. No one, and I mean no one, right, makes a barbecue better than America. No, seriously, I tried something called brisket, right, and barbecue. It's like heaven on your tongue. It is tantalizing. I thought the Brits made a good barbecue, but Americans, you have mastered the art of a great barbecue, mate. Mwah! <laughs> I love it. It's like heaven on your tongue. Tantalizing. And, and then that, that, little, that accent, man, just makes it all little, the better. Oh, yeah. And the little gasp that he does, he's like, oh. <laughs> like, I have made that sound before when I eat some good brisket. So, like, the fact that that's the sound he made... I think that's just evocative of good barbecue, and uh, it's it's always fun when when people get to experience it for the first time. I know we've got some international listeners. If you ever make it to the states, please come seek out Ben or myself because obviously Ben knows where to get some good barbecue near him. And then I know a couple of local places over here. I don't work at those establishments, but I patronize them enough that I can take you to some good american tex-mex barbecue there's there's one place over here that has like blended barbecue with authentic mexican food and uses like birria meat as part of the ingredients and they call it mexicue and that's probably a subject best safe yeah. for another barbecue watch is hashtag mexicue but oh my uh, god but, but the thing is with barbecue, it's just like it's it's like we America, obviously a country of immigrants and a melting pot. And we we love our different cultural foods, whether it's Mexican or Italian or whatever else, um, all of it. We l- love it. But there's it turns out that there's very few pieces of our food that are actually uniquely American. <laughs> They're like, we're invented by us. We can claim that we made this. Yep. Barbecue is one of them. And yep. I love it that like a Brit comes over here and he's like, wait a minute, <laughs> this, this thing that you can, you know, you can get Mexican oh. food in other parts of the world. You can get, you know, Italian food in other parts of the world. You can't get, you can't get barbecue like this, man. Well, and here's the other thing too. Sometimes the phrase barbecue is what Americans would just call grilling true they, they think that having a barbecue is like smoked chicken on the grill in your backyard or something and there's a little bit more of an art form to having american barbecue but 
that is also probably best saved for another night because it's pushing midnight local time. And I have to drive a lot for work tomorrow. I already know what my fate is, and I'm not looking forward to it. So I, I, am, I am beyond ready to call it a night, unfortunately. But this was a really great discussion, and I'm glad that we got to touch on as much as we did tonight. Oh, it was a pleasure and a thrill to talk about this movie and talk about Indiana Jones. And come on, let's just face it. It won't be the last time we talk about Indiana Jones. We'll come back to this at some point. It um, it's not over for Indiana Jones. It may be over for Harrison Ford, okay, but it's definitely not over for Indiana Jones. He'll be back at some point, um, and we'll be back to talk all about it and watch whatever his next adventure is in the future. Um, we might be 80 the next time Indiana Jones makes it to the silver screen again, but I'll be here for it. So, mm. so uh, there you go. But uh, this was a heck of a lot of fun, and I don't know what we're going to talk about next month, but it's, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah, we really haven't talked about it that much, but we've got a few weeks to figure it out. So... If you have an idea, then go find us at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and let us know if there's a particular topic or a particular subject you'd like us to cover. Um, we have a couple of candidates, but nothing is set in stone. So be sure to go find us there, and we'll put all of our socials and all of our links in the description of this podcast so you can find us at all the right places. We've got Patreon, Podbean. We've got Swag. We've got different projects that we're doing on our own. So you can find all of that. And if you're listening on iTunes, then please subscribe and give us a five-star review. We always need those. And uh, we appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode and looking forward to the next one. Ben, I know I'm rushing things a little bit, and I'm sorry, but it's late, and I got to go. But no. thank you so much for taking time out of your evening tonight to geek out with me for a couple of hours. I'm looking forward to the next one. No, this is it's it's the same time here, you know. It's the same time. Um and it's a work night for me too. So I get it. I get it. I want to go to bed too. Um so I will talk no further. I will just say um thanks everyone for listening. We love you. We'll talk to you in the next month. We'll be here to talk about whatever we're going to talk about. Um always uh and keep track with us on the Intergalactic Peace Hangout group. It's a great place to hang out and uh as the title implies. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. That's going to do it for episode 363 of the IPC podcast. We're just a couple of short episodes away from having a year's worth of episodes, and it only took <laughs> us nine years to get there. <laughs> thanks wow. so much. For, thanks for so much for tuning in to this episode, everybody. We'll see you all for the next one. But until then, hope you have a great and safe summer. Thanks for tuning in to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and Aristocats and uh, the Wild and everything else that's going on here on this crazy podcast. We're looking forward to 364, but until that time comes around, good night, everyone.